0: thirds of americans are at risk of experiencing an electrical blackout you could be one of them sitting in the dark and cold for hours for days maybe even weeks are you ready to protect your family you could be with the patriot power solar generator 2000x these things are sweet because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable Go to 4patriots.com/meat eater to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com/meat eater. I've been telling you about how we are big fans of Tacovas boots. Heritage, tradition, quality, comfort, style and service are some of the best features of Tacovas, but now they also have a gift for our listeners. Tacovas will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps free with a minimum purchase of $100 at tacovas.com Just use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's MEATEATER at tacovas.com T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Point your toes west. And again, free trucker hat or ball cap with a minimum purchase of $100. Tecovas.com this is the meat eater podcast coming at you shirtless severely bug-bitten and in my case underwearless the meat
1: eater podcast you can't predict anything
0: presented by first light go farther stay longer Okay, we're joined today by Ya Yang. Ya. Yes, sir. Love that name,
1: man. Thank you. Did did kids goof on your name a lot when you were a kid? Ya Yang. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. I just tell them it's it's pretty Minnesotan. So, you know, I,
2: got, <laughs> I got that.
1: my joke is that when you know when we came to the country through the immigration, they couldn't pronounce my name. My my name in Hmong is actually Ja. Oh, so uh, that's so. You know, yeah. Okay. They, they couldn't pronounce it. So. Whoever was there was just like, all right, let's just, let's just do YA yeah, ya, and be done with it. That, huh. that's, that's, well, at least that's my story. I yeah. don't know if that's true or not. but
0: <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not striving for equivalency here, but I'll point out that there was a – in my family name. Did I talk about this recently? There was a yeah. split in how they spelled it. The A and the I. Yeah, the A and the number of N's and everything and the <laughs> I. I have an article where – I think I was talking about this – where my dad's uncle – hit a cop, hit a cop car. He was Italian. And did the I, in in little Italy, like in the south side of Chicago, yeah. Italians and Irish guys didn't like each other. My dad said, you simply could not go to the Irish neighborhood. They'd kill you. His uncle hits an Irish cop named Philip Toomey, yeah. who's off yeah. duty. Toomey goes home and gets a gun and comes back and kills my dad's uncle. I still have the newspaper clipping. Wow. um and and my dad would show me the article, his point being how the ranellas spelled their so <laughs> the ranellas who are family members in the articles have different spelled names
2: Oh but he's like but it's the same they're like family. brothers,
0: you know what I mean it's yeah. funny. um so Ja.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, you, you said it perfectly there. Yeah. Ja.
0: but when you but you don't do that. Does your fam? What does your
1: dad call you, or your mom or dad? Uh, or? My, my my family calls me Ja. I see. Yep. But you just make it easy on everybody else. Yeah. I, I, yes. Yes, sir. I do that. <laughs> it's like Janice and Janice. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> there you go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, Corinne, of course. Phil's got a haircut scheduled tonight. <laughs> That's his, right. His um, <laughs> it's getting down in his eyes. He had to do a little head flick. Yeah,
3: yeah. I was telling you before the podcast that I, I judge, I, I judge when I get my haircut, like the timing of it, based on when you start making fun of me. I know yeah. that that's about the right time.
0: So. Yeah, I like to keep it high. I like to keep the hair high and tight here in the studio. <laughs> it's really strict. It's <laughs> <laughs> Seth's here. Howdy. Uh, tell everybody. You don't need to tell where you went, but tell everybody about your big fishing trip, Seth.
3: I wouldn't call it big fish.
0: This will interest, yeah. This will interest, yeah, because um, these would be these would be fish species he's familiar with as a Minnesotan.
3: Yeah, I was I was fishing a uh, body of water um, in Montana this weekend that I fished before, and you and, typically an uh, uh, impoundment on a large river. Yes, <laughs> you typically do well in the spring with with smallmouth in there. But uh, I hit it a little too late and I, they moved off their beds and hmm. deeper. And I just haven't figured them out this time of year yet. But you hit it the same time last year? No, earlier last year. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but the suckers were spawning. The water was clear and I could see them. I'm not talking about that fishing trip, I'm talking about the other big fishing trip. Oh, <laughs> oh, that one. Yeah, four peck. Not afraid to tell about that one. <laughs> Where's that? She saw the size of Indiana. Everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, uh, Memorial Day weekend. How many mi- that It's hundreds of miles long. One hundred thirty or something so. yeah, like that. Long. More, more shoreline than California. And and I think, Bullshit. no, seriously, look it up. You want to hear a good little fact like that? Um, Prince of Wales
0: Island mm-hmm. has half the landmass of the Big Island in Hawaii, but something like four times or. As much shoreline. Really? Because all those fjords and yeah. coves and jaggedy ass shorelines.
3: Um, yeah. Four pack, amazing fishery. Walleye fishing was tough at first. Um it's like we'd pick up one or two during the day, but uh we kind of figured out in the evenings they were sliding up on those hard breaks. Sliding up there. Yeah, just sliding right <laughs> up there. Uh <laughs> to feed in the evenings, they were going up shallower. We would, we would catch them pretty good.
0: Um, and wh- when you guys are doing that, what do you, so you're camping out fishing. Yep. What are you guys doing with
3: your, uh, with your fillets? That's what they say in England. Uh, we just put them in a the cooler, keep them, keep them cool. Just gutted whole fish or you're flaying fish? No, we're flaying fish.
0: And then putting them in a the cooler. Yep. Um, and then
3: just come home and then deal with them all. hmm Come you guys, home. You guys frying fish while you're there? Uh, we, no, we didn't. We didn't while we were there. What other kind of species did you catch? Um, Drum, catfish. You caught freshwater drum? Yep. They're in there? Yeah. Caught one. That's a rubbery fish. I caught one last year. You ever flay one of those? Yeah, I did. I didn't this year. I did last year. You flay them and you think
0: you're in for a treat. They're beautiful. My Mm -hmm. dad used to cook them, but they're like gorgeous flays. Yeah. They look like they taste good.
3: I forgot they're they're like a
0: little springy, it's like they make that noise when you're chewing them. They make the noise that a cheese curd makes,
4: (laughs) like you, like you generally don't want your fish to go when you're chewing it. Yeah, it squeaks
0: on your teeth,
4: man. Yeah, Uh, where I I grew up, that people were way more interested in the rock in their head than uh, than eating them.
0: Yeah, they have a blow, they have a large version. What's it called? It's that ear, not the old. Yeah, oh, yeah, Yeah. what the hell's that word? Odolith. It's just a souped-up version of an odolith, right? Yep. You make little earrings out of it for your wife and stuff. Oh, I didn't know that. Corinne, that'd be a good little thing for you to get into, man.
2: Hell yeah! Because you it... like
0: making animal part jewelry. <laughs> you need to catch yourself a big drum. <laughs>
2: I think I do. Are are these like those kind of like uh, little parts that mimic like oricheta pasta, like that, like a little thumbprint, yep, like exactly. curve thing? Exactly. Yeah. You find them yeah. washed up on the beach sometimes. Yep. yep, yep My yep.
0: brother had some because uh, yellow eye rockfish have some big ones. And my brother had some kind of jewelry made for his, for his woman,
3: his wife, Juanita. Yeah. Nice. One of the many fish called sheephead. Did you, did you flay it out? No, I put that one back. Hmm. Um, we caught some pike. What'd you do with those? Flayed them. Threw some back, but I mean, we caught a lot of pike. What'd you guys do with all the Y bones on your pike? Um, I, I actually didn't take any pike flays. Do you like pickled pike? I have to ask Rick Hutton. Rick caught, a, I think his biggest was 35 and a quarter. Oh, big old fat gut on that thing. Wow. Yeah, it was big. Does he Does he make pickled pike? Um, He typically doesn't, but he, I think he's going to try to this year. He took it back a bunch.
0: Yeah, a you bunch ever pike. hear of pickled pike? Yes, I've had that. Because it dissolves the bones out? Yep. That was one of yeah. the greatest discoveries I ever made, man. I, not that I made it. I mean, you know what I'm saying. Ever learned about Yeah, Uh, when I was a kid, my old man would buy pickled, um, you know, for Christmas. I don't know why, like I don't know where this is a thing—pickled herring or whatever. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Creamed herring or something for Christmas, right? Eastern European. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. I don't know how he got onto
0: that, but then he learned how to make. uh, He learned how to make it out of pike with the sour cream and shit, Mm -hmm, or not. mm -hmm. And he would make huge jars of that now and then. But you got to get on it. You can't let it linger in your fridge for a long time. As soon as it starts getting cloudy in there.
3: It's how do you flay a pike? Well, you ever see Miles Mache do it? No. <laughs> okay. Do you do like the five? No. Like the five flay method? No. no. I have. I don't like it. So
0: all through growing up, we would just flay them like you flay it. Take the flay off. Like rib, a, like a normal, out, normal fish. And then you cut it into like a three. Then you cut the, how if, or if it's a big pike, you cut it laterally. And then you got two big long strips. Yeah. And then we would take a fillet knife and cut about every cut through it, almost all the way through it, Every the same way like the, the cart way, the cart preparation. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you take a piece that's like, let's say, the size of like three of your fingers put together in your hand. Like if you peel your pinky and your thumb away. I got big like banana fingers. But <laughs> if you peel your pinky and your thumb away, that. The three fingers. Yep. And then every quarter third of an inch or so you cut almost through it. The tail piece is bone free, so always like Yeah. And then you fry that and, and, and the little bones kind of cook out, you know. Hmm. But now what I do, that's what we used to do. Now what I do is I take the flay off and I take the tail piece off and I'll freeze the tail piece as just regular fish, and then I'll take the bone in pieces and make fish cakes or pickled pike. Gotcha. Um, miles Mache. He can very quickly. Um, if it's chilled, nice and easy to work with, he just that that son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, some bitch. Yeah. I got to cuts. where I
4: could get that strip out pretty good. Yeah. The, it, it's like, it's like
0: as John McPhee, when John McPhee was writing about, uh, cleaning American shad, he just, he, uh, equated it to fixing someone's watch. It's like, um, it's like that kind of work to, to get that yeah. bone line. But my, that's what my brother does.
4: Yeah, it's um, not bad on was the just, big ones.
3: Yeah, I was like watching videos on the the five like they call five it five finger exploding heart pike like, trick. Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> they call it that, but <laughs> no, the they say it's like the five you get the five boneless fillets off of a pike and it's just Oh yeah, you cut into the back, and yeah. cut along the back I did that
4: and it just did not uh, like skinny been. strips. No. It no. no, it's like
3: you cut you get, like laid on its belly and like go in behind its head and come
4: out. I already don't you like You take
0: it. the tailpiece off, the boneless tailpiece off. Yeah. this I just lost a dollar bet to Spencer Newhart because we have the tailpiece of a common carp. And I said, the tailpiece doesn't have Y-bones. He says that's not true. They go all the way. And I was like, no, they don't. And we took a tailpiece and cut into it six pin, six bones. Like, he's got Y-bones to the bitter end. But on a pike, they peter out yeah. at the dorsal fin. Yeah. Anyhow. Um we went morel hunt last night, and me and me and my all my kids and Brody and his kids and uh, we're stomping around for a while, and we finally find some. And my, my little six year old looks, at goes, "This is." He great. finds a morel. We find a morel. He goes, "I saw one of those
4: earlier." <laughs> yeah.
0: And what did he say
4: after that? He said, "I thought it was a beehive." <laughs> I was like, I got to see this morel, if it's as so, big as a beehive.
0: No, now. I'm not kidding. And earlier, he had got tangled up in a little briar patch, and I and he was whining and moaning about being stuck in a briar patch. And I said, was it before or after you got stuck in that briar patch? And he says, it was before that. I go back to that briar patch and start kind of backtracking where he came from, and there's a morel sitting there. <laughs> yeah, I saw one of those earlier.
4: <laughs> that's hilarious. I was impressed you oh, found it.
2: so... <laughs> So
4: good. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we ended up uh really good. Yeah. A Couple dozen, I'd say. We had, you know,
0: um well, my wife just came up with a new hashtag for me, which is keep tinkering. But um <laughs> we uh which is uh but we got back to the truck. And there's like a place where if you parked and went looking, you wouldn't look because too obvious. I'm not giving too much away to say it. It's right by the dumpsters.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> like, by the dumpsters. Yeah. It's like, it's just too obvious. Like, you would never look there. Like, you park and you never be, it's just like a weird little pocket. And we got done and and then just kind of
4: Got checking around the dumpsters, doubled our take in about ten minutes. Oh wow! So nice. The what do you old think, dumpster spot.
2: What you know? What is there like? They grow in tight association. Off? Yeah. I mean, what's some, that? Like, what's what kind of matter is found right by the it dumpster? It had no. It made? had all
0: the attributes. They did. The, these morels weren't keying in on dumpsters. Oh, okay. It had okay, all the attributes. Okay. It was like okay. or, like we we're after the. I don't know. I, I used to think this was more rigid than it is. But uh, do you hunt morels? Yeah. No, I don't. Do you hunt any kind of wild mushrooms?
1: No. Really?
0: Um, uh, We used to think it was like, there's, you know, there's different species. So there's Morcella esculenta, which is like, uh, translates to like delicious morella or whatever mm-hmm. the hell. And we did, there's like Morcella conicus and all. And I used to think the world was very clean and it's like, oh, that's a this and that's a that. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong, but my understanding now is that it's like you can't
4: just run around declaring this Morel that and that
2: mm-hmm. Morel that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, I was like, going to ask
4: you if, uh, like, the ones we're finding are kind of a light tan. If my
2: they're understanding, darker,
4: like in burn areas,
0: do they look? They're cold. Cone- oh. Yeah. And then you go to the burns. S- sometimes, sometimes you do get those those round topped big yellow bastards in burns. But my understanding, I could be wrong, is just like it's like Morcella Esculenta, maybe, is that big ass yellow. River bottom morel that associates with dead, dying, damaged, whacked out cottonwoods,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and there's like you get so kind of wet ground, kind of right around now for here. It depends on your elevation and everything. Uh, my buddy in San Juan Islands, he he's picking morels in March, mm-hmm. you know. So and Robert Abernathy in South Carolina yeah. gets them in March. Anyhow, big messed up cottonwoods, and then it kind of gets where the grass is what? Like, you know, it just starts to look Morelli, man. Yeah. That dappled sunlight, 12-inch high grass. Which made it, you could have been walking right by them without seeing them. And the last little dumpster cluster was at a stone-dead cottonwood.
2: Okay, okay. Okay.
0: Stone-dead. Um, got a black bear the other night. Been a while since you shot a bear, hasn't it? Man, been a while. I've seen some get, seen some get shot since then, but I haven't shot a bear in a long time. Uh,
3: yeah. I I saw post clay had hardly any fat on that bear.
0: Well, we, co-
3: yeah, like in where you'd find it, it didn't have
0: that much. But then I gave uh when we cut it up yesterday morning. And package it all. I'm going to bring you some, crin. I got it all packaged Thank you. Uh, I cut off enough for, but no, I I cut off enough off of the, off the high end quarters. I cut off enough to render a cup of oil, Hmm. but no, not fatty, but like really nice hide on it. Very stout, well muscled, but just not a lot of fat on it.
2: What do you do with the feet?
0: Keep it. I'm going to get it tan and rugged out.
2: Oh, so you... All, oh, you mean eating of, the feet? N- well, no, I've like... I've had that. Okay. But. No, no, no. Just if you're... Right. If you're going to do a whole rug with no, the No, i get him with his claws okay, and
0: okay. everything on him. Yeah, I got a couple. Eh, I don't know. That's one of the problems. Not a problem, but like one of the things about bears is how many bear hides do you need? Right. And you're not going to waste it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like... But I'm back into it now. I mean, we used to hunt bears so heavily. Like really would devote a lot of time to it. And then I just kind of, for a while, just... Got sick of those Southeast bears that taste like fish.
4: Southeast Alaska. Southeast
0: Alaska bears that taste like fish. Yeah. But no, we we had a great time, man. Why
2: don't you make like a like a coat cape kind of situation or uh a...
0: I don't know why I don't do that. You know? It's hard to pull that off.
2: <laughs> you know
0: Ronnie Baines ruled to cool. never wear a hat that has more personality than
3: you do. <laughs> I don't know what do you think about having a cape that has more personality than you do? <laughs> Imagine Steve rolling in here with a bear cape and
2: workout pants. I Uh, actually see him starting the trend. It was (laughs) ninety.
0: It was ninety degrees and higher. Oh, that would be brutal. It Uh, was like you. It was. It felt berry till eight thirty in the morning, and then the day we got one. So we went up, hiked in this area a couple miles in, hotter than hell. Got there, got cool. And then we're in a big burn that had like, it was like a mosaic burn from a long time ago. And there's still nice little timber patches, just kind of glass in those timber patches. Mm -hmm. First night, boom, there's a bear. Put the moves on and he gave us the slip. Uh, In the morning, we were like set up to glass this this west-facing exposure so that we were looking east. And there's so much haze in the air that like we kind of, the morning was shot. It was just like, it was like looking into a blue smoke almost. Sat there for twelve hours in the blazing hot sun with these aggro ants, oh, <laughs> that were fired up about the heat. I think. Mm. Yep. Oh, you try to take a nap and just feel ants all over you It's misery. That's a long day. That set time up a shade tent. Gets to be about eight thirty. Starts feeling berry, and there's another damn bear and we got that one. Yeah. Sweet. No, it was good. It was good. Um. Uh, you hanging in there, y'all? Yeah? I'm, I'm, I'm here. Don't go anywhere. Yeah, we're gonna get into some, we're gonna get into some hardcore history in a minute here, man. Uh, oh, the other day I sent Corinne a note. I sent her a text. I was reading an article about Prince Harry. That Prince Harry and Oprah are launching a TV show about mental health, and I said to Corinne, "If I had to something to the effect of, if I had to list every program ever made in the history of the planet." In order in which I would watch it. <laughs> I would start with that on the bottom.
2: It was like, and then I would fill
0: everything else in.
2: <laughs> it was like the weekend and I get a text from Steve and he's like, Remind me to talk about how this is the thing I would least I'd be least likely to ever watch and I'm like, Okay. Well, this came, this came on the
0: heels like, I, like it's very un-American to like the royal family it's it's like here I, I'm breaking my own rule by talking about them but it's super un-American we had a whole war to get out from under the monarchy but people still act like it's cool I read an article in the times where, where some guys like um homet oh, what when his when his uh his uh his his wife' was like oh they're mean right the royal family I read this article the times being like homet oh, You're surprised that there's a problem with a monarchy? This is a shock to everybody. Like, globally, the whole world has moved away from monarchies because of the abuse, nepotism, anti-democratic, everything. Like, you get to lead because your dad, like, you're born into a certain family and you get to be in charge because of who your dad was or your mom. And then someone points out, like, oh, they're mean. It's like, no shit. I mean, isn't that the whole point? Uh, like it's not like the world's going to monarchies.
2: I don't I don't know if they we've been tr- drifting
0: yeah. from that for hundreds of years.
2: They're mean. Uh, uh, oh,
0: I thought they were all super nice.
2: Really nice kings and queens. Off on his head. <laughs>
0: Remember that all that stuff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God. So I'll be like.
2: But look, Steve, they're much nicer now because they don't exactly do off with their heads. So, you know, we no, can, uh,
0: now yeah. they ride. I was telling my kids, they ride around in little carriages. They're like, no, they don't. I'm like, listen. So I had to pull up pictures. I got my kids hating them now, too.
2: Yeah,
0: you got to teach your kids love and everything. But I, I like I try to be very precise and teach them certain hate. I try to teach them to really despise the royal family. I'm, get, I'm getting somewhere with it. Uh, Yeah, I was just like, holy cow, man. Um, Holy cow. I I usually try to not like uh, burden listeners with opinions of mine that have nothing to do with what we, with our set of things that we, like with our world, right? Like the world, the brand promise of what it is we talk about. Right.
2: Every now and then. Walleye
0: flays, kangaroos. (laughs) That's all like in, that's all in. And Prince Harry is out, <laughs> so I need to apologize for having brought up something that's out. You know, I'm not going to, like, yeah, apologies. apologies. <laughs> Just a quick weekend text to Corinne. <laughs> I think most would agree. Here's something kind of interesting where there's a, um, this was reported in a handful of places. There's a bill. There's, a, there's some folks pushing to ban, like, they got a gripe with kangaroo hunting in Australia, which is, like, a very tightly regulated industry in Australia where they want to ban the import of any and all kangaroo products into the U S and it has a a, kind of a weird history. So I didn't realize this, but back in the seventies, kangaroo numbers were kangaroos were down and hurting. I know they go like wildly, you know, they're, they're wildly cyclical and in 71 California banned the import of kangaroo parts so just into that state right um, and they have a there's a commercial kangaroo industry in Australia so they have all kinds of there's all kinds of non-native wildlife there that's that's less regulated. They're, they're, right now they're trying to exterminate what how many cats are they trying to exterminate feral cats all of them two, yeah they got a goal to shoot off two million cats or something in Australia. Anyways, there's a lot of non-native stuff that's more liberal and, and unregulated hunting, but they have a tightly regulated kangaroo industry where it's basically run. it's like they 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 harvest it like you would imagine harvesting livestock, but it's a wild animal. So there's market set and people come in and establish you got to get you know these commercial licenses. You have to pass tests to become a sharpshooter. Um and a long time ago California banned parts And then the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service followed suit and banned the import of three commercially shot kangaroo species because they were worried about declining roo populations, even though many Australians felt that that was not a concern. Um, Eventually, they were removed from the U.S. list of endangered and threatened wildlife in 1995, so apparently deemed recovered in 95. But the California ban lingered. Until the mid-2000s. And people didn't pay much attention to it. And then a vegetarian activist group sued Adidas for selling soccer shoes that were using imported kangaroo skins. This got me thinking about when I was a little kid, I wanted a pair of shoes called Roos. I was wondering if they were made out of kangaroo hide, but they just had like a little zippered pocket. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. But my mom wouldn't. I thought it was because we were poor, but my mom just wasn't dumb. My mom, not being dumb, made me think we were poor because she wouldn't let us have any name brand stuff. (laughs) We couldn't get like, you'd want like real Doritos, but you had to eat like store brand potato chips, you know, (laughs) and you wanted it in a bag. So you go to school and it'd be like a bag that said Doritos, but it'd be like a little sandwich baggie full of like store brand ones. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and, oh, she never let us have anything cool. We wanted like Nike
1: sneakers. You bring up Adidas. I, I'm a huge soccer fan. Played soccer growing up. And oh, you did? I think Adidas's most popular shoe is kangaroo leather.
4: Based. Still today? Yeah. Is it, yeah. it? Oh. I wonder if it was the Sambas. Remember that black and white it's, ones. It's, Everyone, not, the, it's not? not the
1: Sambas, but it's the, uh, they call it the Copa Moondials. I had a pair um played in them you know most 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 of it growing up so you kicked yeah. some goals and kangaroo Yeah, I did. that I did. does that
0: does that ball bounce <laughs> off that kangaroo leather nice it's
1: super uh, the leather is super soft so i mean you know it it was more um i would say i played in the midfield so it was, it was one of those like more like passing type of shoes i would say Huh. Um, so yeah so really? it was very popular adidas shoe to th- to Would, did it have like psychological ramifications where you felt <laughs> real springy when you put those suckers on? No, no. I just knew that I need to to leather it up. Like you, you, you had to buy this oil with it, like, it, to, was keep like, it, nice. it to keep that. it nice, to keep it like weather uh, um, waterproof.
0: Oh, it's good that we got yeah. a subject matter expert yeah. here.
1: <laughs> yeah, so they sued Adidas.
0: Uh, yeah, this vegetarian activist group sued Adidas for selling soccer shoes using imported kangaroo skins. Now they're trying to revive this whole thing a bunch of international activist groups and a member of the U.S. House of Representatives and an Australian politician who is the lone elected representative of the Animal Justice Party. So if you want to get yourself some kangaroo chops,
2: <laughs> Better hurry.
0: stock up on them sneakers. A smart thing to do, dude. Right now, if you're a big Adidas man, is buy a bunch of those shoes.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, then, and then and then sell them, sell them on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> and then take
0: that money and buy a walleye boat, and then send pictures of that walleye boat to Chester and say, "Suck it, Chester." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like say, I was able to do with kangaroo shoes what you were never able to do with Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, here's a great. Here's a great thing. Now then a news story comes out, and a million people, a million people text it to me, and a million people texted me this one that there's an article in the Atlantic, um, which is like oftentimes a reasonable publication, I feel, and it's not their fault, but someone just published this piece, uh, arguing that in in the in the great saga of wolves being magical. Magical creatures, and again, I'm not hacking on wolves. I like wolves. I like seeing them, hearing them, looking at them, everything. Uh, but it's like if you want to stop highway vehicle collisions, you need to get yourself a bunch of wolves. And it was pointing out that, uh, pointing out that in, and I gotta look into this more. And it's like there's like the whole issues of causation and what's that thing, Kryn. Causation, causation is not.
2: Yeah. No, but there's a correlation. Saying. Is not equal. Oh. Correlation yeah. is not
0: equal causation. Yeah. Okay. Arguing that in counties in Wisconsin.
2: Yep.
0: In counties in Wisconsin that had wolves come in, there is a reduction in highway vehicle collisions with deer. With deer. Okay saying that their wolves are saving us so much more money in avoiding car crashes than they're costing people in livestock death. Saying that, oh yeah, we get wolves, and all of a sudden... But see, wolves have been around for quite a long time in Wisconsin. So it's not like all of a sudden there's like none, and then you put some there, and then that's where the causation thing comes up. Because there's been a reduction in deer car collisions in certain counties that have wolves. And... I pointed out to Corinne, I was saying, hey, uh, if you're good at math, we should figure out how many deer car collisions that hunters prevent, which is imperfect, but it it brings up a point. So you have, just just for sake of just set this whole thing up, this is an incredible number, 19,757 Wisconsinites collide with deer every year. That's unbelievable. That's crazy. That's, like That's many, so insane. many a night. So let's say 20,000 deer car collisions in Wisconsin every year equals this will surprise me too how few deaths. That leads to 477 human injuries. And only eight deaths. And I think six of those are motorcyclists.
2: Hmm.
0: So you imagine like the percentage of vehicles on the road compared to like, you know what I'm saying? Like what percentage of Highway passengers are in a vehicle versus on a motorcycle, which Mm -hmm. is like overwhelmingly vehicle, car. Yep. Um, That makes it seem like uh, we could pull those numbers too, but the fact that that six of eight fatalities are dudes hitting them on motorcycles is pretty crazy.
3: That is crazy.
0: It makes you think that like that's another thing in your head when you're riding a motorcycle. So if a wolf kills 20 deer per year, Wolves in Wisconsin are probably killing about 24,200 deer a year. Hunters, and they're saying that these wolves can lead to a 24% reduction in deer car collisions. And I brought up the criminal, how many many deer car collisions do hunters prevent? Because wolves kill in Wisconsin about 24,000 deer. Hunters kill 188,000, basically round up. Hunters kill 189,000 deer in Wisconsin last year. That's a ton of deer. Yep. Wisconsinites killed 189,000 deer. So that would be the real article I was pointing out. (laughs) The real article would be, holy cow, do hunters prevent a lot of death? And then when you go hunting, people be like, why do you hunt? I'd be like, well,
2: I mean. Saving lives.
3: Saving lives. Saving American lives on the highway. Hunters should get a discount on their car insurance. (laughs) Yeah.
0: But then Corinne was like looking into this more and pointed out. That pointed out to me that they were saying the the effects of wolves on saving human lives on the highway is beyond the deer they actually kill. But it says okay. that wolves, unlike people, I, don't, I don't, this one I don't get, wolves create like a landscape of fear, which we had a podcast episode named Landscape yep. of Fear. Wolves create a landscape of fear and move deer away from heavily trafficked areas. But if you look at a map of where deer car collisions occur, they occur along the interstate system. So they're sort of saying that wolves like to hunt the interstate. Wolves are out on the the interstate hunting deer and push them away from the interstate into the remote areas where the wolves don't want to go. Kind of? Am I getting this right?
2: Maybe. I mean, I think it gets complicated. I went down a research hole so I think we'll have to come back to this. But, Steve, your I, your thought was that um, that most of the deer car uh, collisions happen in urban areas. Yeah,
0: most of them are occurring. Right.
2: And that is absolutely like true. Like the leaders,
0: Dane County in the mm-hmm. South. Yep, right? yep.
2: Um, and the top three are, I mean, Dane is half a million people uh Waukesha, if that's the way the right way to pronounce about 400,000 and then Washington County is 136 uh 100,000 and this is all data from 2019 so those are all urban counties and they have about 7 to 800 deer crashes per year from 2019 but then number 4 and there are among the top 10 counties there are 3 uh one two there are four rural counties um but number 4 with a population of about 41,000 people Shawano County had 725 deer car collisions so there are a couple of data points in here that uh you know kind of poke holes or not poke holes but um it gets a little complicated here cuz there are some really low population rural areas. They have a lot inc- of car crashes. Yeah, with a lot of car crashes. But
0: what they're, but here, here's the other thing: is you got to look at. You could look at population, but that doesn't attest to highway traffic.
2: Sure, mm-hmm. on
0: interstate system. There's a lot to it. But, yeah, but there's, there's and I want to do. It, it, but I, I thought it'd be like when I first saw, it, I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> but then I looked at, it, I was like, oh, there's more to it. It can't be like easily. It's yeah. not easily torn apart. But there's some suggestions there, like the idea that wolves push deer from the areas that they hunt into areas they don't hunt and would mean like they hunt highway systems mm-hmm. which I don't think that that's yeah. accurate but the primary point and we should I'd love, if they want to come on I'd love to have them on the primary point is I feel that they it's one of those kind of things you read and you get the sense that they knew
2: mm-hmm. what they
0: wanted to show before they showed it oh mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. there was a mm-hmm. point someone from Well, what's that school Wellesian isn't that where Hillary oh. Clinton went? Wesleyan? Wesleyan? That's
4: Hillary Clinton's school?
2: I don't think so. Yeah, Maybe.
4: This list of counties also doesn't say where, like, if there's wolves there or not, which seems like, right. you know, inappropriate. Here's a direct quote from no, the— No,
2: she went to Wellesley, the all-women's college. Oh, okay. Yeah. Here's
0: a direct quote from the, from the person. Most of their influence arises through dread, not death. Their very presence creates a landscape of fear. Um, it's weird that people want deer to be so afraid. Their very <laughs> presence creates a landscape. It's like people like want deer to be afraid, creates a landscape of fear which pushes deer away from roads and other heavily prowled areas. This makes tremendous sense, Zanette said.
2: Actually, Zanette is a. I think she's a biologist who was commenting, commenting in this out. article, but wasn't actually the person who uh, conducted the the study. I mean, I think there was a fair amount of doubt, or just wanting to see causation, wanting to see this study replicated, because uh, right now the conclusions are, you know,
0: hazy. Yeah. But uh, wh- when Chris and I talked about this morning, we we're talking about it, it's more about um, it's more about sociology than ecology. Mm-hmm it's more about like what we want to see. Yeah. And if you have a heavily pro wolf bias, you'll be like all of a sudden acting like you care about highway vehicle collisions. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) If this was coming from, if this article, and I don't know enough about the person, if the article was coming from someone, like let's say the, the, the government is like tasked someone to be like, what can we do about highway? Uh, you know, vehicle deer collisions, right? And this person's like, well, we could advance headlight technology, right? Which we've done a lot of. Headlight technology is very important. Um, better signage in high-trafficked areas. We could do wildlife crossings.
2: Improved, uh, you know, collision sensors, all of that. Collision you know? sensors. Yeah, and then yeah. yep.
0: increasing the, when you cut brush away and cut trees away so motors can see more. Let's see, have a bigger window to see on the sides that the road won't be coming little tricks and little tricks and stuff like that
2: some things that really make sense so
0: if this person had looked at everything and they said you know what man
4: the one thing you're missing after examining <laughs> after really getting into
0: this man after really getting into this I think here's the answer we bring a bunch of wolves to Madison and turn them loose you'll see we'll put an end to your car crashes like then I'd be like tell me more, but that's not where it's coming from
2: <laughs> uh
0: We'll return to this. You should ask the someone, I don't know, man. Maybe someone someone should come on and explain it. Okay. Can you do that, Corinne?
2: I'll uh I'll I'll see if I can find the uh the lead uh researcher.
0: Okay, I want to talk about one last thing, then we're gonna get hardcore and oh no, two quick last things. Ah, there's three. Ah, there's four.
2: We can ah, skip ah. some of the things.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Okay. <laughs> this is interesting though. So a California park ranger. He's out doing his patrols in the California's East Bay Municipal Utility District. He's in the Sierra Nevada foothills. He starts noticing all kind of uh, petrified trees. No one knew about it. Finds a bunch of petrified trees, finds a bunch more petrified trees, and eventually realizes it's like this giant debris pile of stuff from what, from what year? Eight million years. A Eight million year old debris yeah. pile of trees. And in here they find, once they get to digging around, an 8-million-year-old mastodon skull with both tusks intact. Six-foot skulls on this thing. A rhino skeleton from back when we had rhinoceroses. There's a giant tortoise. There's a horse. There's a tape here. Here's the good one. Yeah. The remains of an ancestral 400-pound salmon.
2: (laughs) With?
3: With sharp teeth. With Yeah. <laughs> Don't leave that out. A sharp-toothed salmon.
2: <laughs> that weighs 400,
3: 400 pounds.
0: 400 salmon running out of the rivers, running out of the oceans. A gomphothyr, which I didn't know about. It was an ancient elephant that had four tusks plus 600 petrified trees.
2: That is so neat.
0: One of the most significant fossil discoveries in California history. They suspect floods and volcanic debris flows carried all this junk to this spot. That is cool.
2: Yep. and that, They won't
0: tell yep. anybody where it is because some guy like me, <laughs> it'd be so hard if someone's like, oh, yeah, right up there, man. I keep finding all this crazy shit that you wouldn't go, eh,
4: yeah have a look. <laughs> That's Steve, all right. <laughs> That's Steve, all right. We'll have a quick look up there. Do we know if this was like one event or is it layers of... I, haven't, I didn't read that much. Yeah, about I it.
2: think everything they found there, um, it's supposed to be a uh, from the Miocene, uh, which is twenty million to f- five point three million years ago. So there I, I think there were kind of layers mm-hmm. and stuff scattered across an entire area. and it's funny like the the Ranger found one uh petrified tree. And then kept walking around and found some others. And then over, I think it was a couple of weeks, like kept going. He back kept to sniffing the around up there. Yeah, and then he's like, "You know, Better I think I need someone. to call someone." <laughs>
0: I think yeah, it would have been like if I was that ranger. They'd be like, "What'd you see up there? Nothing."
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then your next Instagram post. Why, would why were you up
0: there with a wheelbarrow?
2: <laughs> <laughs> your next Instagram post might have some tusk in the background. Yeah, nothing. Okay. Why?
0: Um. No, that's great. <laughs> no, man. you wouldn't do that. That's great. Uh, that's 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 a cool find. And you know what the thing I, when you think about all the cool animals that here a long time ago. I like to imagine, like we're not gonna be around forever. Like just whatever. I mean, when you get into talk about geologic time, right? A, a disease event, whatever the hell, yep. we'll destroy ourselves. Like no species gets to be here forever,
2: except the cockroach.
0: Cockroaches. <laughs> If you could come here, like fast, instead of going back in time, like I'm like, oh, I want to go back in time to see all that crazy stuff. If you could go in time and go back, I'm gonna come back to the Earth in a billion years. There'd be a bunch of crazy shit running around.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. And what do you think we'd look like? Like
0: dudes with four tusks. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: <it'd>
0: be interesting. Oh, <laughs> uh, this, this guy in um, this guy in Idaho. We we got to talking about uh, ravens killing livestock and deer and stuff. This was reported. I was surprised when this was reported. It was reported in the Hill.
2: Yeah, right. Of all publications, an
0: Idaho farmer. He's always had bald eagles nest on his property. He says this year something weird happened. He thinks that because it was such a cool spring that these bald eagles came to nest, but the the, the fishery wasn't kicking ass yet. I, I don't know. He's got a lake, or he's got a lake, and he said it took a while to warm up. And he's wondering if their normal food source in the yeah. lake wasn't available. When they showed up to nest anyways, they killed 54 lambs, 12 to 80 pound lambs. He watched one kill. He watched one eagle kill seven lambs in one day. Yeah. Reported in the hill. Last little note here. Uh, hunters in West Virginia are mourning the loss of one of their hunting
4: spots. They rolled. What's this place called? New River Gorge National Park. Yeah, used to be New River Gorge, uh, whatever preserve it was a preserve. National, yeah,
0: they horked seven thousand acres of land out of the core of this thing to make a national park. So seven thousand acres in in the heart of the gorge, which is very rough terrain. Locals say it was some of the area's best hunting grounds. Um, they rolled that out. There's still sixty five thousand acres that you can hunt. They removed seven thousand and then gave a little bonus where they added about three hundred seventy acres of newly opened hunting lands. But yeah, stole seventh Park Service. I don't want to say stole. It's strong language. <laughs> I just hate to see like I hate to see that kind of thing happen. I mean, if it's already good and protected as scenic river. Wilderness area, whatever. I hate to see it be that they lay in this like you can't hunt it. Like I like to see ground protected from industrial exploitation and development, but it's a bummer to see the
4: to get it pulled.
2: Has anyone ever been to that area?
4: I've, I've been hunted. there. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. New no River's got great smallmouth fishing.
2: Hmm. Really? Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. And, you know, it's fairly close to a lot of pretty big metro- metropolitan areas, so you know i'm sure visits at this place will be you know th- there'll be a lot of people going but uh yeah it's a bummer that land got because because i believe their promise that they could always yeah under that the, was part the, of the, the deal previous designation and then they uh changed their tune
2: our newest national park
4: how how open arms are people about it By are like locals that hunted it well i'm not i mean i can't i mean i didn't live near there enough to, to know how upset people are. But you got to imagine that, you know, you get your hunt, your quote, your hunting spot taken away. You're not going to be too pleased.
0: You know, um, we, when I was living in New York, we used to float the upper Delaware mm-hmm. near Calicoon and that had gone under wild and scenic river designation, man, you saw a lot of signs up and down the river. People pissed about it. Cause the regulation, like use regulations changed. Yeah, people were pissed about yeah. it. Um, and this thing became under, as a national river under park protection in 78 and people were assured you could hunt the entire property, Mm -hmm. but then it, uh, then they just lost 10% prohibited.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'd imagine some hunters are really kind of pissed about it, um, based on just some of the articles I've read, but you know, I guess some of the other locals are, are, uh, you know, excited about potential uh, economic prosperity you sure. might bring to the area. I mean, it's. I guess it'll put West Virginia on the map a bit more. So I guess it depends on what your priority is.
0: Oh, yeah. If you're yeah. like running a canoe livery. Yep. You're probably excited as all get out.
2: Yep. All those non-outdoors, out, you know, all those non-true outdoors folks. Yep. Steve. Hikers and bikers. <laughs> Hikers and bikers are all fired up. <laughs>
0: Uh, last little thing here we'll touch off on because I, I, I want to touch off and it's just because it's from my home state of Michigan. Like there's got to be, I need to know more to the story. So a ma- what what is written here is a and this come on Corinne a massive fish poaching.
2: Well, I don't know. Look at all those laid out. 80, <laughs> 80, 80,
0: they 80 broke five,
2: up. You know, bags, of, you know, yeah, freezer but size. But I know. It's I a need PA, to hear yeah. more. There's
0: got to be more Fine. of the story. Y- if you want to find a good guest, get this guy on. I'm guessing he doesn't feel really like <laughs> talking about yeah. it. But Corinne's massive fish poaching operation. I don't know what happened. Huron County, two guys fined $8,500 combined for quote poaching hundreds of walleye, panfish, and perch. My panfish are with the bluegills because perch are like a panfish. I don't know. Either way, bunch of fish. This guy's fr- freezer got raided, and then a game warden. This is a weird thing. There's a lot to this I don't understand. They thawed out all the guy's fish,
2: <laughs> and then they laid it out on tarps.
0: and laid it out on tarps. <laughs> he had. As if it were, like, bricks of cocaine and, like, automatic <laughs> yeah. rifle. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, laid after out a bust. Or... As though, it, like, in classic drug raid fashion, laid out hundreds of perch fillets. Yeah. Like a cocaine, like, when you line up with a bunch of AKs and bags of dope and stuff from some, like, cartel raid. Perch fillets. Hundreds of perch fillets laid out on giant tarps. And in all of his empty Ziploc baggies. <laughs> so his freezer got raided. And a conservation officer found 85 bags of frozen walleye, quote panfish, I'm not happy with that term, and perch flays in his house. The guy was ordered to pay 7930 bucks worth of fines, and his friend was fined 600 for taking over the limit of perch. Taken over the limit of purchase one thing. But the reason I need to know more is like, was this dude? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that they were on to him for something else, and that led to this. But there are a lot of people I know in Michigan that if at the end of a good fishing spell, you went to their house and started thawing all their shit out, you'd find they had over their possession limit.
2: What what is including
0: that? my old man back when he was alive.
4: <laughs> and even with following possession limit rules, if you've got, say, four or five people in your household, you can have a lot of damn perch in your freezer.
0: But, okay, let's say you're in, because it, it varies, because, like, the big lakes are different. Let's say you're in area just for argument's sake here. Let's say where he's at, he's allowed 50 perch per day. And the possession limit is two daily limits. So he can have, in his home freezer, 200 perch fillets. But let's say you, like, have... I'm just... No one thinks about it. If you're tearing it up and you're like, oh, I'm going to have a big fish fry. I don't know. And you catch five, six limits of perch because you're saving up for a big church fundraiser. Fish fry. There's no, got to be more to the story. No one's, he had no
3: gotten on their radar somehow. No one's thinking about it after they go in the freezer. No. Like, they're, they're, he's probably, you know. I think about it with ducks. He's probably, yeah. Because that's federal, like, crazy ducks. But
4: uh, someone must not turn crazy, him in. but
3: maybe not, but I imagine he's like following like the daily limit. Well, they're saying this one guy got not. But here's the
0: other thing is what are they gonna do with all those perch flays now they got them thawed out? Feed them to the bald eagles. Holy cow. I know that's should... 85 bags of perch flays. And they're nice scaled skin on, well put up for They took
4: care it's not like they just caught him and didn't take care of them. Like they took care of this. This fish. dude was pro- I don't know if he's selling them. Like, what we found in the past in talking
0: to conservation guys, uh, game wardens, and I'm not ha- I'm not hacking on this game warden. I don't know the story. But a lot of times, like, that stuff comes out of that they're on to you about something. Like, you've mm-hmm. done something, they're on to you about it, and that leads. It's not like they're just, like, going and banging on
3: doors and digging through freezers. Yeah, it's got to be something because, yeah, I'm sure they weren't like, hey, we should just, go. We should just stop, <laughs> stop in and see what this guy has in his freezer. <laughs> like, something happened. <laughs> Maybe. So yeah. here's
2: another article and I it 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 doesn't point out kind of like the backstory, but the main guy with you know, those eighty five <laughs> bags, Ziploc freezer bags. Um okay.
0: I just want to get a barrel of cornmeal and just start <laughs> put in a put in a fertilizer spreader and just drive that <laughs> over that big sheet of <laughs> <laughs>
4: Some Tony 55 cheese. gallon drum of hot oil.
2: <laughs> Here, this guy Anyways, had. Go ahead, <laughs> he had 35 walleye. The daily limit is eight.
0: Hum it in what? In his freezer?
2: Yeah, among okay. the you know within the 85. Okay. Taken that day, uh, 85 bags taken that day. 35 walleye. The daily limit is eight. And anglers may possess an additional two days limit of walleye as long Hmm. as they're processed with a total possession limit of 24. That's a lot
0: of walleye. You're allowed to have a lot of walleye in your freezer. Yeah. Uh,
2: 245 panfish. The daily limit is 25.
0: (laughs) You're talking about bluegills there.
2: Okay,
0: bluegills. It'd be like bluegill, pumpkin seed, Mm -hmm. you know. Yep.
2: With a total possession limit of 75. And he was over... uh, by 393 additional perch. <laughs> the daily limit is 25, and you can uh, possess an additional two days limit uh, as long as they're processed with a total possession limit of 75.
0: I just like, we're talking about a lot of things here that we don't really know about, but my, here, here's, the, I just wanna explain this. My instinct when I see all those perch plays is, like, I've known this guy all my life. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Maybe, I, I've, like...
2: <laughs> maybe it's part of a sting operation it's like, to uncover, it, it's like, like, dozens of your extended friends and family. See?
0: My, yeah. It's, like, my old man and the old man he hung out with, like, I'm just, I feel like I'm staring into their freezer.
2: Okay. The, <laughs> these yeah, but, folks are 68 and
4: 53. Yes, like, <laughs> oh, I got. I got to scroll. I got to scroll. I can't handle it. They might have had a side hustle going on selling <laughs> yeah. these things. Well, do something. you remember
0: that big sting we reported on? That was like, we reported on this a long time ago. Yeah, hang tight, dude. Okay. <laughs> we reported on this a long time ago. Where there was a big sting operation. It even had a name like, like North Star. And you read this as a poaching ring, and you read the 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 all the charges on these guys like racketeering, wire fraud. But it was, and, and I'm not excuse it, but it had these names where you look and you think like, oh, it's the mafia. Like they broke up a mafia organization because racketeering and wire fraud. But the wire fraud was like you had to do a call in to register your deer. So a dude shoots two deer, has his girlfriend. Uh, claim one on her tag so she calls in to report to to report the deer to the deer harvest hotline that's wire fraud
4: right huh
0: racketeering uh. would be a guy goes to he brings a buck down to his taxidermist to get it stuffed and pays the taxidermist and smokies smoke like snack sticks <laughs> yeah. i'm not joking pays the taxidermist and snack sticks and then they had a deal worked out where they got, like, reduced taxidermy to then get extra snack sticks. And then they had some guy who had a gift shop, and he's selling snack sticks that made off their deer smokies. <laughs> and then another guy, here's another, here's another thing in this big roll-up. There's, a, there's a, another fraud. There's a, there's a walleye derby. A guy goes ahead of the derby and goes and catches walleye in a different state, okay? Puts them in those live well. And drives over and signs up for the derby at a gas station, like the gas station is holding the walleye derby, and wins the prize with walleye he caught in another state and had him in his live well, and it winds up being like this like interstate fraud thing. So on paper, it's like holy shit, what were these guys doing? And you look, they're just doing a bunch of like hillbilly (laughs) bullshit, like, (laughs) like a bunch of things you would probably wouldn't like. A lot of guys wouldn't think about. You know? Yep. You're like, oh, yeah, I owe you 100 bucks. Let me bring you some Smokies. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Hey, everybody. I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who, over recent months... I've become friends with, and my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp phenomenal hunting knives if you want to see them in action we just did uh me and uh john hayes the taxidermist just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear um watch that video and in that video you'll see montana knife company knives in action mkc products usually sell out in minutes of being released which is true but now for the first time they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal on x hunt is always striving to help make hunters more successful in the field each season this hunting season they will have a bunch of new features to help you on your next hunt these features include new aerial imagery options like leaf off recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back and imagery on demand. On top of that, OnX is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos. You can also now view your maps in Dash when driving to your next hunting location. These are just a few of the many updates OnX has for this hunting season. Try OnX Hunt free for seven days. Or go to onxmaps.com slash hunt and use code EATER for 20% off your new OnX Hunt membership. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the app I use most. I love it. I cannot picture life without it. Use code MEATEATER for 20% off on your new OnX Hunt membership. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time. Until it's yours forever. Here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65 inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At errands, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55 inch or upgrade to an 86 inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With errands, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details. All right, yeah. Uh, how do you want to start? Mung. You're Mung. Yes, sir. H-M-O-N-G. Let's start from the beginning. Okay.
1: Who are, who are the Hmong? So the. Or no, so tell where you're from first. Where yeah, did you establish that? Uh, uh, I'm I'm in the uh, Twin Cities, Minneapolis area. Okay. Um, um, I live in Blaine, which is a um, a city right side of, right outside of Minneapolis. And you're a hunter. A uh, newly hunter, yeah, yeah. A new hunter, new, yeah. And you're Hmong? Yes. And you were born in. Uh, I was born in Laos. Okay. Yep. Walk us through who the Hmong were and how how. So the Hmong are uh, an ethnic minority group originally from the southern parts of China, and they uh, at some point were fighting with the Chinese because the Chinese wanted them to basically become chinese and a lot of the Hmong were like no we're uh, they're a nomadic tribe they they have their own language, they have their own religion we did not want to be chinese and so They were driven south into the Southeast Asian area, so Vietnam, uh, Laos, Cambodia. And that's where if you, as a person here in the U.S., if you meet a Hmong person, they're from Southeast Asia, essentially. And a lot of us have the same story, is we were here because um, of our involvement in uh, the Vietnam War, more specifically the secret war in Laos.
0: What uh, I have probably the same level of
1: exposure
0: um, to Hmong culture is is a lot of people that hunt where I, it's like, I just know, have always known very loosely that there's a lot of Hmong in the US kind of had something to do with the Vietnam war Mm -hmm. and they like to hunt a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's about it. That's accurate. (laughs) accurate. Yeah. So, uh, but, but break down like how, how the Hmong got tangled up with the with the u.s like how they became on the u.s radar
1: yeah so back in the uh, 50s and 60s when um it was it was r- around the spread of communism um in in that area so the the idea was we had to stop the spread of communism um in in that region so you had um north Viet- vietnam which um was then um uh uh trying to take over the country you have the, the communist forces so i'm not trying to talk about one particular group but it was it was around the essentially stopping communism mm-hmm. and so the reason why it's called the secret war in laos is like the you know the u.s were not supposed to be be there it, and they were uh, there to be advisors um, in that region to use and um, advise the like the local governments there to Fight against the spread of communism.
0: Yeah, because didn't um, like portions of the Ho Chi Minh tra- Ho Chi Minh Trail came through Laos, right? Yeah, uh,
1: basically most of it did. Uh, it was that's was essentially what it was. It was a a, a supply line, and it w- occupied the eastern parts of Laos. So.
0: My uh, former neighbor at our fish shack in Alaska was a door gunner. On a helicopter yeah, yeah. in Vietnam, and he now talks about it freely, but for a long time did mm-hmm. not. Yep. He, spent, he, he spent his entire tour based in Vietnam, but he said all their stuff was in Laos, mm-hmm. dropping yep. people off, picking them up, uh, hitting hitting uh,
1: transportation lines, all in Laos. Yeah, man, and early in uh, in in 1961, uh, early 60s, it was. Um, the, they got the the authorization from, at that time, JFK, who said, yes, look into uh, working with some of the ethnic minority group in that area to help with, like, stopping the spread. And really where Hmong people came in were they knew the terrain. Hmong people throughout history have—they um they, they were actually fighting— even before the Vietnam War, they they actually oddly enough they were fighting with the French because you'd been to Vietnam and I don't know if you remember the kind of like the French colonization, oh, the yeah, influence yeah. there, and um, oddly enough they'd always been fighting to, for their freedom. Um, if 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 you look at some of the some of the his uh, the the publications, they they've always wanted to kind of be left alone. We we want to be our own people, and we were. We are fighting against evil forces is is kind of like what they would say. Is, and
0: in their mind, the, the the outside communist influence was more of a threat to them than anything else. Correct.
1: To their autonomy. Correct. Right. Yeah. So that's how they got involved. And they were essentially used to uh, because they could just get places quicker. Right. You know, um, the, the only thing that they didn't have were they didn't have firearms, um, you know, which which um, eventually came from working with the CIA. Yeah. What did the Moans traditionally hunt with? They have like these crossbows, so it's like a wooden stock. And then, um, like the, the cross would be, um, like, a uh, it, it could be wood or it was like, it could be bamboo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they use for the strings, they, for, for the strings they use, um, uh, like a, a material called hemp. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, yeah, yeah. but it's like a fabric, um, and they use hemp and, uh, like hemp they use it for like clothing as well. And so, you know, that thing doesn't shoot really far. Right, and so um, it was like mostly for small game birds. Um, my my dad so my grandfather owned one. If you had a blacksmith um, in the village who could like forge parts, um, you built your own flint stock. I know you guys had an episode about flint stocks yep. up a while ago. And you, flintlock, yeah. yeah, oh, flintlock, yep, right. Yep. Um, you know, you it would be made out of wood, and then you had had, had different parts, and then they cooked up their own ammunition. And I, and I learned this recently too, is they went and got bat dung from the caves and use that to like reduce it to some liquid and then cooked it up with hemp as well. And my dad said, he doesn't know like the exact process. Well, they were able to make gunpowder. Yeah. They were yeah, able We've
0: talked about with... um, on here, we talk about the process by which Boone and other frontiersmen would make. And they would say anything. The they'd go to caves for the guano. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. And then somehow they would use, uh, you had to have, yeah, they'd get saltpeter, um, what the hell like, ash. It took ash, willow ash, your own piss. They'd wet okay, the thing yeah. down with piss. And then they used um, saltpeter, bat guano. Ah, I can't remember.
1: Anyways, seems like a way to wind up with a product that wasn't entirely yeah, yeah. consistent. And I, I knew I knew that because uh, we we had a, a very um, prominent member in our clan who recently passed away. And I would learned that he, he had been badly burned because he was cooking up his own oh, ammo. Really? An
0: and then what uh, – we recently covered a story or t- discussed a story in Taiwan where the Taiwanese government is passing anti-hunting regulations that are impacting indigenous Taiwanese. Talk about the indigenous Taiwanese still there hunting with homemade guns. Mm, and they want to switch to modern guns, and people don't want them to switch to modern guns. And they're pointing out the danger, the danger to them of hunting with homemade Firearms mm-hmm. and they want to have something safer, yep. Yep. but they don't want, they're, they're afraid of the efficacy that would come from. And so there's a desire to keep them hunting with,
1: with
4: homemade sure. weapons. Yep.
1: But then the Americans give them like. Yeah. Um, my, my dad said his first, his first gun was an M1 carbine. So 30 is like a 30 cal. Uh-huh. Um, um, you know, I, I recently, I just kind of really gotten into hunting. And so, you know, I've, again, I'm going back and kind of just learning about the first guns that they came they came across. What know? year was your dad born? Uh, 52. Yep. So was he, did he, does he have recollection like of the Hmong getting tangled up with the Americans? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and yeah. actually, fast forward a little bit, the kind of like Montana connection in all this. There mm-hmm. was a, there was a smoke jumper uh, by the name of Jerry Daniels uh, right out of here, out of Missoula. I think he was born in California, but lived in Missoula. That's why there's Hmong people in Missoula farming, and uh, there, there's a community there. Fast forward that a little bit, and my dad was telling me the story that to come to America, um, this Jerry Daniels, um, guy was worked really closely with the Hmong, and he was the guy that validated my dad's picture. And oh really? Said, hey, yes, you were in fact a soldier and and you know because it was because
0: like, he was a special forces they, soldier. Well, he,
1: yeah. So my um well everybody was. The, no, I mean the guy that the the guy that oh, was yeah, instru- yeah, yeah. the guy exactly. that was
0: instrumental in yeah. bringing yes. Hmong to the. Yes. You know when I lived in Missoula for I lived there for quite a few years. Um, the farmers market there is just dominated yes. by Hmong truck farmers. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. The my other name. day I was with my buddy. I was with my buddy Clay and I was showing him around there. And uh, the irrig- they still have like out in certain areas in Missoula irrigation diversions and stuff oh, for these yeah. sort of like semi urban suburban farms. wear the
1: traditional hats my my neighbor turns out um b and shang are from missoula what's his name b b b B mua and shang mua they're um they lived in uh, missoula uh, pretty much most of their lives and they just moved uh into our neighborhood Uh, we we moved into the neighborhood at the same time we we live in a kind of newer development and um we saw them at like our kids schools and we you know, you know, you can just kinda of tell they're Hmong, right? So you just say, Hey, how's it going? Yeah. And then, So if you're a Hmong dude and you see a Hmong dude you don't know
0: at a non mong function, you just go, Hi. Or do much. you like talk? We're, we're do you friendly, like plan yeah. dinner or do you yeah. just talk? Do you just wave?
1: Uh, yeah, it's, 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 or not, it's cool to, you know, it's cool to go up there and say, Hey, you know, you, you know, you're, I'm, I'm Hmong. How are you doing? You know, like you're just curious.
0: Where that's how come. you do it. Yeah. Okay. So let let me do <laughs> I'll get this straight. Let's say you come in and let's say Phil's Hmong. Uh-huh. You never seen him, never heard of him. You walk in this room and Phil's Hmong. Yeah. You say, are you Hmong? Yeah, I would.
1: I would. Okay. Uh, because you can kind of just, just not. But you like already yeah. continue. Like an, it wouldn't yeah. be like a knowing yeah. not. Yeah. I mean, it's polite to just ask him, like, what if he's not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I, I, I actually saw a family um, on my flight here. Yesterday in Minneapolis, and they were like they were sitting there, and, and you had a you, feeling, yeah. Well, you knew because <laughs> then they were, you know. So I was just like, "Hey, how you guys doing?" And they were like, "Hey, w- w- hey, you know, um, why are you going to Montana?" I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm just going to go meet some friends, <laughs> you know." So, so yeah, I mean, they were just. So you fabulous. felt obligated to go chat? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. Right.
0: That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh Okay, I want to get back to Asia for a minute, and yeah, your famous sure. history, but then I want to. We got to move into. um Stereotypes about Hmong hunters. Okay. Yep. And I'll tell you a whole bunch of them.
3: Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: the, in, in hunting land, in hunting world, there's two groups that everyone knows. They're just <laughs> the worst on the planet. They're so everything. Everybody in Bottoms. It's uh the Amish and the Hmong are, you know, they don't look like us, yeah. but they like to hunt, which makes me not like them. <laughs> um, you hear about. So, I want to fast forward a little bit through the Vietnam War. Okay. So Americans start to pull out, Mm -hmm. and you guys got a big old bullseye on your back. Yeah. Because we abandoned it, and people are like, it's those, like, they're after you now, right? Exactly. I mean, the communists come down hard. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And and, and
1: lay out kind of like, with your own family history, what that wound up looking like for you guys when the Americans left. Yeah, so I was telling Corinne this, you know, in in the U.S., in some states, they uh, recognized like May 14th as uh, Hmong American Day. And that was like the last day uh, that essentially all the key advisors and uh, some of the key Hmong uh, military personnel were evacuated out of Laos. What year? Uh, 1975. Okay. Yep. And so even even before then, in 1973, they had already signed a ceasefire in Paris. So when they signed that ceasefire, it, it essentially turned Laos into a civil war country because you had the group or the military that um, I think supports the, the royal family, which um, you know, Laos was a, a, a monarchy at some point. And then you had the group that is supported by the communists. So essentially they're still fighting to take over the, the, the country at that point. And so 1975, everybody leaves. Um, and um, essentially to your point Hmong people have a bull'seye on their you know on them And my family between 1975 and 1979 uh, were essentially in the jungles of Laos hiding, trying to go places where you, I mean, where you could find relatives, family, um, food if you will and there were still kind of groups that were hoping that, those who were airlifted out would come back and take back the country. Is kind of what they Got say, you. yeah, right. So for four years, my family were were basically um, just running around in the jungle, if you if you will, just like in hiding, living off the land, trying to exactly. avoid communists. Exactly, exactly. Um, I get credit for being the oldest in our family, um, but actually, like I lost two siblings in that time as well. Yeah, t- t- tell how that happened. Uh, I had a uh, six-year-old brother, and the way that it was explained to me was, um, again, they're walking, you know, uh, in this particular instance, they're walking through the night, and they had come under heavy fire. And we we had some relatives with us. My mom takes him. He's six. Gives him to a relative uh, who is a, a gentleman because he can actually carry him, right? And then my mom had me. And then my mom had grandma. And so she gives him to our relative and they make a dash for, for, um, the other side of this road from, from my understanding. Well, my mom and I make it across with other people. And as this relative and my brother are coming through, he says that he, he thinks my brother gets, gets shot. So when you, when you carry somebody on your back. Like like a child, they probably have some sort of tension. They have a grip on you, sort of, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, he says that um, he claims that as they were running through and they be, they came under heavy fire. Um, at some point, my brother let go, and so at that point, he said that he made the decision to essentially uh, leave my brother where he was and like kept running. So they get to the other side, and you know, my mom's like, "Hey, you know, where is you know where's my brother?" What was your brother's name? Uh, Tong. Mm -hmm. And so our relative goes, well, you know, he's been shot. Um, I left him in that general area. So my mom gives herself up. It's like, hey, you know, my mom's like, I'm a woman. They're not going to do anything to me. They don't care. I'm just going to give myself up. I'm going to go trying to find, you know, my brother. She gives herself up. She's captured. She comes around and first she says she calls for him and no answer. Right. And she's like, well, maybe he really is, is gone because he would have answered at that point. Um, the other thing was she's like, I'm calling, I'm calling to ask if anybody knows, you know, if it may, perhaps maybe he's next to, he's next to somebody who's still alive, yep. if you would share like where you are. Well, people don't want to give themselves up. Right. Cause if you give yourself up, you know, then you, you, there's a chance you die as well. Right. So there's that. Um, so. That's how I lost my older brother. No resolution, though. No resolution. Yep.
0: No idea where he's buried. No
1: idea. Yep. Exactly. And then you lost a sister. I lost a sister. In the same time period. In the same time period. And so my, my, my sister was lost in kind of this weird situation where they, again, they were, um, you know, and it's related to hunting. You know, they get to this village and, you know, they're like, they just, they're starving. Right. I mean, you're you're running around, um, you're hiding and you, you don't really have much to eat. And so um, the story is my dad goes and traps this squirrel looking animal and he, he can't find the like the English equivalent or the American equivalent of it. I was able to find some YouTube. So I'll, I'll send it to you guys if you guys are interested. But he's he finds this this type of squirrel. It it like it burrows itself into um next to tree stumps into the ground. You know, um
0: in when I was in Vietnam, I was with a guy that had killed a You wrote about that in your book. Yeah, yes. Yes. He had killed a squirrel like creature that was some kind of like I think it was like an arboreal marsupial of some sort. Okay. But it looked like a look a lot like a squirrel and he killed it uh up he was telling show me the tree where he got it.
1: You killed okay. with an air rifle, May, yeah. Maybe, it's, it's, yeah. I it's wonder. Man, thing. it was
0: like I had never seen one in my life. I wish I'd. I, I didn't see it till he'd already burned the hair off it. But it was. It was he, the the equivalent
1: would be like a you know like a squirrel sized yeah. Critter. Um, so the story is that he goes and gets one, traps one of those. They come back and they cook it, and mm-hmm. she somehow got sick from that and like passed within um like a half a day or something. like Rally. that. Really, so. Again, I I get credit for being the oldest, but I you know I lost two siblings, um, and then essentially they were and, but you, and you were alive at that point, but just very little. Yeah, I, you, I, you, you, I mean you were I young. was like months, months old, months yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how much were the Hmong pissed at the Americans for leaving? Um, I wouldn't say that. No, no. I mean, I think from everybody that I've talked to, if anything, I think Hmong people have more resentment against the Hmong who left. Um, if anything, but more I,
0: resentment against the Hmong who left earlier, who, who left, who ever? like
1: who left, who left the country in general. Right. So they'd have resentment against your people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For splitting. Yeah. For splitting. Yeah. Like I'll be honest, I, Laos probably isn't the first place I'd travel to. No kidding. So point. you, so Hmong and Laos would regard you guys as like traitors. Yeah. You, you can say that. Yeah. I, I would, I would agree with that statement. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, like as a young person, I don't know the Laotian language. If I knew the language, I I probably think about hey, I might want to. I'm on It's it's pretty country, um, but like my wife and I, I don't think we have like Laos isn't our, you know, like the first place we'd visit simply because I think they would have more resentment against like me versus Americans.
2: There are people who didn't make it to refugee camps, who didn't make it out of the country exactly. eventually. And they kind of stayed behind and are still in the jungle all these years later, like living a hard life. And still
1: being, you know, in a sense, like, like persecuted by, by, you know, people there. It's funny because you hear, um, I shouldn't say it's funny,
0: but you so often hear in term, in relation to in China and recently in relation to Taiwan and other places where you hear about persecution of ethnic minorities. Mm -hmm. And it's. I think it's hard for Americans to get like that kind of like geopolitical sense to understand that even in those places, Mm -hmm. you had like indigenous peoples, Mm -hmm. right? Who had these distinct cultures. And so that the same way you might have this sense of like, like you might have this sense of in America, you have this Euro-American culture. We all know it well. You have this Mm Euro-American culture that collaborated with, warred with indigenous peoples, and there's still, like, a ind- indigenous, you know, autonomy in places. But this is something that happens all around the world, mm-hmm, yeah. like displaced indigenous individuals that in some way live, you know, oftentimes, especially there, live much closer to the land mm-hmm. than in other places. Um,
2: or that ethnic minorities did not— attain their own nation states yeah, right? yeah, like the yeah. majority of china is han chinese there are many many ethnic groups that just didn't get their own country that they're in power and, and specific
1: yeah. to the mong it, it was really because as an ethnic minority we occupied you know in, in in our case like laos the hillsides of laos you know i mean i think this happens everywhere too is like you just don't like you know, ethnic minorities occupying that don't have a country occupying, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like your land, you know. So,
0: walk through how you. What was the process by which you guys ended up in the U.S.
1: and and then why did you? Why do so many Mongols go to Minnesota? Um, yeah, it, it, I get asked that all the time. You know, like is do you guys like the cold or something? Yeah. You know, well, I mean, if you think about it, if we occupied the hillsides, you know, the hill, the altitude was higher, so we're you could say we're we're used to the cold. The reason why we ended up in Minnesota was was purely by chance. Um, so if you, again, if you meet a monk person here in the U.S., their story is fairly similar. You got a target on you when, you know, everybody pulls out. You essentially had to make your way to one of these refugee camps, the biggest one being in, in Thailand. So— also oh, you had to get out of the country. Oh, you had, you had to get out of the country on foot through yeah. the jungles— you know whatever it is that you took the men um i i get told the story all the time the men you know when people started pulling out the men would like go and buy tubes for themselves like like you know inner tubes okay you know what i mean you know and for and crossing rivers for crossing the river for crossing the mekong um because they knew that at some point they would come to the river and they would need to cross it huh and so you know my parents get like separated, they get back together, get separated through various reasons. Well, they make it to the river together, um, thankfully, you know, and some people didn't make it to the river together. They were like separated the whole time, had to meet up back in Thailand. The Mekong Forest is the the border between Laos and – Correct. Yes. Okay. And then it flows into Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. So if you cross the river, you like you make it to Thailand essentially. They get to the river. My dad puts – you know, my dad can't swim – puts in the tube and but the way my mom explains it is like she basically thought he was gonna drown because can't swim can't swim
2: How's only has
1: only has a tube because they're up in the mountains yeah because they're they're in the mountains I mean I, I think they fish but I mean, there's really not, uh, from my understanding, there's not really not places for you to go like to swim or learn how to swim. Yeah, I had a friend I, who grew up on a ranch at nine thousand feet in Wyoming, and she says none of us know how to swim. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's nothing to swim, yeah. and it's cold. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, he tosses and turns. I mean, my my mom says that he's he's a goner. I mean, there's you know, and a lot of people died crossing that river. For some reason, he makes it across, and you know the way he explains it. Is but what that, about the kids? Well, the kids stayed on the other side. I mean, you—you you, the, the idea was if he makes it across, he can maybe find Thai officials or something. I'm with you. That can then come. So you and, can just send one person across yes, and then, exactly, yeah, exactly. come back with a boat or whatever. Yeah. Got and so he goes by himself. He not, goes by himself. Not with your mom. No, not not with not with the, my mom, my grandma, and whoever else, um, my aunt. There's this whole slew of people there. Yeah. And you guys are just like living off the land at this point. Yeah, exactly. And I'll I'll get to this. But he he tosses and turns, gets across, and he like sits down to rest. And he the way he describes it is this thing comes out of the water and he thinks it's like some, you know, among people believe in like, like water dragons or something, something like that. Right. Like mystic, like some mystical um, animal, right. He's like, this thing comes out of the water. I'm like, he's like, I'm done for it's like, it's, it's probably some, you know, animal that's like coming to eat me. Right. I guess, I guess it creates a a wave or some, or it turns out that it was a Thai boat that Saw him cross and came to get him, and so a they boat. a boat, yeah. Uh, so uh, he uh, was so, kind of tripping from, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was in rough shape. Yeah, he was. In, he didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 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 from his description, he thought it was some like dragon, <laughs> right? He's like, oh boy, I this, this is it. You know, this is it. I crossed the river and this is it. Turns out it was um, like two Thai uh, uh, officials with their boat. And so they go, they grab him, go to the other side, and grab the rest of the family and and, and ferry them across. So that's how we make it to Thailand. So there has been be tension between Thailand and Laos. Well, um, at, at that point—
0: Because um, they're helping—they're like taking in yeah. and assisting in the
1: escape of, of right. people that they're trying to catch. Well, at that point in kind of the history of this, um, you know, I think even the U.S. government— coined it like the domino theory, you know, cause they, they're like, basically, if one of these countries fall, the rest in that region is going to fall. And yeah. so um, at that point, you know, Thailand wasn't um, at war or didn't, didn't have any, it I common, I yeah. yeah. So, um, and I, I guess through whatever political treaties that they had at that time, I, I suppose, you know, the Thai camp was the big refugee camp that everybody had to get to, Right. So they go to the refugee camp, and essentially he goes and meets up with his commanding officer by chance. Four days later. The, the guy he'd served with during the, the war. The guy that he served it with, the, the commanding officer had heard that my dad was still in Laos, essentially running, right? Hiding, running. And uh, four days after getting to the reg- refugee camp, he goes into the room. The commanding officer is there, and the gentleman I, I mentioned earlier from Missoula, Jerry Daniels, is in the room. He says that, well, I I knew who Jerry was, and, um, you know, Jerry was one of those guys. He was, like, an advisor, but he was the guy who, like, trained everybody on guns or, or taught people, you know, like, the type of the guns. Like, he would come and say, hey, do you know what this M1 is? Do you know what this M16 is? You know, do, do you know these things? Um, he goes into the room and by this time my dad was, um, the way he described it, he was so thin that neither of those guys recognized who my dad was hmm. and they say, Hey, w- what are you guys doing in here? And he, you know, my dad goes, my dad's name is Dua. So my dad goes, you know, I'm Dua and I served under you. And like, basically they had this big group hug. Right. And I think there was just like, Hey, we, you know, we thought you were, you were gone or you were still running around. Um, and so I know I, I just arrived four days, four days earlier. So essentially the, the journey to here was, so they, they get there. Jerry confirms, Hey, you are a soldier. And that's when the process starts to come to America. My dad wanted to go to California first because there had already been some people here in California, um, some relatives and they gave him two choices, California or Minnesota and. My dad said, I'm going to go to California. Well, they did the paperwork and it's like, well, the, the people in California that you say are your, they're only your clans people. It's not immediate, immediate family. I see. Yeah. So there's like, we're looking for immediate family. Well, even though in the Hmong culture, your clansmen are actually much more important than say like your sister even, right? Okay. Your clansmen is really, you know, what, what, you know, we, we when you talk about Hmong families, it's all about the clan. So I'm a part of a clan. They're, those guys aren't your, they're your clan, but they're not like your first cousins or anything. They're not your brothers, so we can't send you to California. So they get stuck there for seven months. They're in the refugee camps for seven months, and then my mom had a brother, and we all also had other clansmen end up in Minnesota. Uh, around that time, the um, there's a couple Christian organizations in. Um, groups and people in Rochester, Minnesota, this is actually, it's actually where we ended up mm-hmm. It was in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, and I, we, we still keep in contact with those folks today and we hunt on their land. And I, I had a conversation with them a few weeks ago and the story from them was, you know, it was just two couples, James and Marie, and then Bill and Sandy, who they like, they were friends and they got together and they say, Hey, we want to do something. We want to sponsor a family. And their reason was it was just the right thing to do. You know, they knew that among people fought in the war alongside the U.S. and they just wanted to do something out of the kindness of their heart. So they talk to some folks and they, they get together with their um, respective churches and they, they, they say, well, we want to sponsor a family. That family ended up being us. Mm-hmm. So uh, we end up in Rochester, Minnesota, and we had an uncle my mom's half brother, as well as some other were up in the twin cities. And so we end up in Rochester for, um, two years and then we moved up to the twin cities basically.
0: Uh, what year? So what year did you land here? Uh,
1: 1980. So you're, uh, what? I, I was six years old. Yeah. Uh, 19. Well, I I was one and a half. Um, uh, my brother um, oh, I was counting yeah, from. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm counting yeah, yeah, from the wrong yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. 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 so, uh, so 75 to 79. I was born in 79. Where you know we make it to, um, we we make it to the refugee camp in ni- 1979. I got you. A, a, essentially, a year passes, and then we end up in Rochester.
0: Hey, everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives For 30 years, you get one of these knives up and open it. It is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, watch that video, and in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now, for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now, you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. On X Hunt is always striving to help make hunters more successful in the field each season. This hunting season, they will have a bunch of new features to help you on your next hunt. These features include new aerial imagery options like Leaf Off, Recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back and imagery on demand. On top of that, OnX is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos. You can also now view your maps in Dash when driving to your next hunting location. These are just a few of the many updates OnX has for this hunting season. Try OnX Hunt free for seven days or go to onxmaps.com hunt and use code MEATEATER for 20% off your new OnX Hunt membership. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the app I use most. I love it. I cannot picture life without it. Use code MEATEATER for 20% off on your new OnX Hunt membership. Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators. Furniture for your living room or bedroom. Even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time. Until it's yours forever Here's the cool part Say you're renting a 65 inch smart TV And decide you don't want it anymore At errands you can return it at any time Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55 inch Or upgrade to an 86 inch You can do that too Return it then take home something new Life's always changing With errands your stuff can change Right along with it Keep it, return it, upgrade it Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. You got to see your local store for details.
1: Tell everybody about the prohibition on um, eating animal hearts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it, you, you're going to like this. Um, so monk people, Um, before the introduction to Christianity, so, you know, we talked a little bit about earlier about, um, French influence in Southeast Asia, um, the, like some of the very first non-Mong people that non-Asians, um, that Hmong people came in contact with were like French missionaries, priests that introduced, um, Hmong people to Christianity. I grew up Catholic. I was telling Corinne this, and for the longest time, I didn't know why. But but I grew up Catholic. Um, so the traditional religion is, um, you know, they they call it animist, um, shamanism, mm-hmm. the belief in in ancestral spirits, right? And so, if you were sick, we didn't believe that it was like physically you were sick. You know, we believed that there was your your spirit was sick. There was some sort of spiritual imbalance. So you would employ the the service of a shaman he would come and he you know he was he's somebody who can go into the spirit world and and you know and 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 fix your spirit or or you know or battle the spirit or the evil spirits and ward it off right yep. and that would make you better um, well uh, the story around the the heart is um, uh, there was there's a curse that's laid on a um, uh, very specific clan group, and I'm a part of that group. Okay. Yeah. So. The, so your group is under a curse. Yeah. And and this is legitimate. This is a legitimate curse. So um and the it, the the curse goes as follows. Uh, so the religion, you, you know, animist shamanism. Um. The story is that there was a, a long time ago there was there was a ceremony going on. And, uh, so this was a traditional ceremony in that ceremony, they were cooking up the stew, right? And this stew in there, there's different versions of this, depending on who tells it, but there was a, uh, ox heart or a, a cow heart. Um, and the shaman or the, the, the group of people there, um, had asked, um, uh, a young man or a boy. That was nearby to wash the stew. Make sure no one messes with yeah, it. Yeah, make sure nobody messes with it. And the the the, the only significant uh, detail that I remember from what with this 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 young man or young boy was that um, he had a, a mental disability. So I so you know to be not to be like politically incorrect, but he was he was like um, they they in the Hmong word they they said like he's he was slow, right? Okay. And so um, he's, his task was to wash the stew. So these guys go off and do the thing, come back, and when they come back to grab the heart, it's nowhere to be found. Got it. And they can't find it in the stew at all. And so they talk it over, and the conclusion that they came up with was, well, we need to use his heart. Sure, yeah, go on. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need to use his because he can't, like, in a way, I, th- I think he can't defend himself. Like, well. Um, the, sl- the slow boy's yeah, heart. Yeah. yeah, yeah, So they're like, not only that, but it, like, I think the idea was, like, what they were asking him, like, where was it? He, Like, he couldn't explain, right? So they looked all over, can't find the heart. He must have eaten it. Yeah, so he must have eaten it. And so at this point, if he's, he must have eaten it, then in order to, to make things right. Well, we had to use his. And so what they ended up doing was they ended up killing the boy using his heart. So they do that. And as the story goes, they, they, they find the boy, you know, dead. And at the end of this ceremony and everybody's cleaning up, they come back and they're cleaning this pot. Well, hell the heart was stuck at the bottom of this, this pot. Right. And so now the, a big cover up ensues. Yeah, they jumped to some wild conclusions, yeah. <laughs> man. It was so, in there all along. Yeah, so they're you know they're 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 um, conspiring amongst themselves like we got to cover this right. And there's a um, and I don't know this I don't know the significance of the lady. She might have been like a relative of the boy of the, the young man. Well, she overhears what they had done. So she lays the curse, which is a doozy, right? Basically, the curse is, from this day forth, none of the men in this clan. What is the name of your clan? Um, well, my last name is Yang. So I'm a part of the Yang clan. Okay. Right? So in, in Hmong culture, there's 18 clans. Hmm. So if, you, you, if you're Hmong, you, be, you belong in one of these 18, you recognize by the last names of the person. Uh, the curse is, from this day forth, anybody in this clan, uh, any of the men in this clan, if you eat heart, you will go blind.
0: And, and you've never eaten heart.
1: And i have never eaten heart. Now to, to be fair, you know, there's 18 clans and then in those clans, there's sub clans, right? So we're not all related. Um, cause you know, depending on where you're from in parts of the country, even though I'm a, I'm part of the Yang clan, this curse doesn't actually affect all the Yangs, it only affects like certain sub clans who observe it. Got it. Yeah. So as a Hmong person, you grow up, well, one for sure. Um, you can't marry or date somebody of the same last name, and that applies to the entire like clan. So, so you have to go out of your clan. You have to go out of your clan. Yes. Did you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. But your wife's mom My wife's mom Yeah. But out of clan. Out of clan. She's a Vang. Yeah. And so. And does she hang on to that name? Oh yeah, she hangs on to it. Yes, yeah. my wife did. Yeah. You know. yeah. Are you sure you know Not for any good reason She doesn't have yeah. a good reason like that I'm,
0: I'm, She m- said she didn't want to um, <laughs> Have to like update all of her stuff
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, You know um, Mostly the Hmong women hold on to their their To their maiden names
4: in that, in that um, curse, yeah. Was it another clan that placed the curse on your clan? Or, like, who... Um, the Yeah, that's
1: a good question. I actually don't know. Again, I mentioned I don't know the significance yeah. of the woman. Yeah, like where but it came it was, from, yeah. So, um, the, 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 so the woman lays the curse, and it only affects the men of very specific sub-clans, right? So... Um, going back to learning the things you grew up with, number one thing you learn as a Hmong person: don't you, marry your client. You can't, you can't marry because they're considered your sibling, They're considered your brother or your sister. Got it. Um, for me, number two is you can never eat heart.
4: And you haven't.
1: Really? And I haven't. Yeah. Like
2: any heart of any animal.
1: No hearts. We have these beef heart pills. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> oh would God. you eat a beef heart pill? Right. Yeah. right. Well, it's like desiccated. I'm, I'm hoping. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've never tried, but I'm hoping. I, I'm. You know, I'm hoping that. You know, like if I were to eat it by accident, you know, I'm hoping like the spirits are okay sure with man. That. They'd overlook. <laughs> that. Yeah, they'd be like, ah, I didn't mean to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you know, every time you, you eat heart on you know wherever on this series or whatever, I'm like, dang, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and my you know my buddies are you know they're like, yeah, you know, once we you know if we we ever shoot a deer or whatever it is, we're just we're gonna eat a heart in front of you, and you, there's nothing you can do about it, you know. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. And then you know, at family gatherings. You know, all the women would eat heart. And, would you, will your wife eat it? Uh, she would, yeah. yeah. But um, all the like, we go to gatherings and all the women be like just making fun of the men because they're just sitting there eating heart and they're like, you guys can't touch it. Really? <laughs> yeah.
0: Let me tell you a story I heard. <laughs> Let me tell you a story me and Yanni heard in Missouri. Okay. Okay. Guys, tell us there's no squirrels around right now. <laughs> you know where this is going. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
2: what well, happened all the squirrels?
0: The Moon killed them all. Yeah. Big roving bands of Hmong came down from Minnesota, conducted a massive squirrel drive, <laughs> which I didn't know was a thing. I don't know if they got tree climbing gear or what, but they conducted a massive squirrel drive, Okay, killed off all the squirrels in order to sell them. And I said, well, who do they sell them to? The other mung. <laughs> and I said, so hold on a <laughs> so a bunch of mung came down from Minnesota, drove to Missouri, conducted a massive squirrel drive, killed all the squirrels, drove back to Minnesota and sold them to other mung. Correct. I'm like got it. Uh,
1: do you hear a lot of this kind of
0: stuff? I,
2: <laughs> well,
1: um, I, 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 I certainly know of Hmong loving squirrels i mean squirrels king among the Hmong people right even even more so than deer I is mean, that I right think, oh, oh yeah oh yeah there, uh did you read that article there's an article in a, in harper's magazine decades ago called squirrel hunting with the Hmong. Huh. i might have, i might have heard of it yes uh, yes um but I, i'm not gonna die Hmong people love the squirrels and because they you know if you think about it um Small game was really what they were able to hunt back in Laos. Got it. And so, you know, call it, you know, just having the 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 love for the taste of squirrel. And my dad today, you know, he would he him and I go squirrel hunting. Or the only hunting we him and I go together is squirrel hunting. And because that's just what they love to do. I think they like to chase. I, I'll be honest and say from a lot of people that I've talked about, talked to, they're they like just somehow really good at hunting squirrels. Okay. Um, and I know there's like squirrel calls out there. I don't know if you guys have ever heard, heard that like they use, um, Lemongrass to to call in the squirrels. Oh no, yeah, yeah. Um, you ever here rubbing two quarters together. <laughs> I'm I not, but yeah. I've just been taught to 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 like to blow on lemongrass early in the
0: season to make a little distress yeah, call. Oh, I yeah. Wish we B- had a piece of lemongrass wee, right now. Wee, 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 yeah, ba- basically yeah.
1: you're creating the stress call of of, of baby. Squirrels. Yeah, like works in, yeah. when it, it yeah.
0: works when there's still young squirrels yeah. around like yeah. in September. Yeah. it brings them all out wondering what the hell's happening.
1: Like a hawk's yeah. got
0: one of them or whatever. Huh. Now
1: I will say I I don't know a, like I don't. See people selling squirrels. I don't. You don't I you've don't, never
0: been on a. You've never gone down to Missouri for a big squirrel drive.
1: I'm. I never know <laughs> squirrel roundup. Yeah, yeah. A squirrel. The great Missouri squirrel yeah. roundup. Um. Yeah. I. I yeah. I. They. they love squirrels. Uh, I don't know about the selling part. I mean, in Minnesota, I. I. If you told me where I go buy squirrels, I wouldn't. I couldn't tell you. Um, yeah. The. the <laughs> I, I like.
0: I, I should be clear about. Uh, the point I was trying like. The point yeah. I was getting at is this idea that, um, that it's like, and you'll hear this often. You'll hear this frequently. Like I hear it frequently. It's that, um, there are these kind of like, we hope like in areas where Euro American hunters, and they what they would view as competing, not like yeah. not like they're all hunters together, but like it's like you're you're like competing against this other entity, this other group. you're competing against mm-hmm. the Hmong. and the Hmong are kind of um like these sort of supernaturally <laughs> good hunters, but also don't know what they're doing. They get to be both things like they get to not know what they're doing, but also they're super they have like supernatural prowess. <laughs> and they um zero. Regard for hunting rules. Mm-hmm. Kill everything. Eat it in weird ways. Eat weird things. Do you, know what I mean? you just hear it all yeah. the time, man. I heard it from a guy. I don't want to say who it was. I heard it from a guy. That, I don't want to say who it was. I, I heard it from a guy last year complaining about, he doesn't hunt squirrels. He's a deer hunter, doesn't hunt squirrels, complaining about how the Hmong kill all squirrels, but you don't hunt squirrels. What do you mean yeah, they kill all yeah. the squirrels? Oh.
2: Uh. Whining,
0: if he was hearing about a dude that looked like him hunting squirrels, he'd be like, That guy's a hell of a squirrel hunter, yeah. But if it's a mom dude, yeah. it's like he's yeah. killing all the yes. squirrels, yeah. Do
4: you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just yeah. like a thing, yeah. yeah. You mentioned the Amish earlier, and I'm sure Seth heard it. I heard it in Pennsylvania. It well, was, Seth grew up with it. Oh, hey, yeah, when we talk
0: about this, we'll get flooded with emails <laughs> starting like the second this drops. We're gonna flow the emails, be like, Yeah, but seriously, the Amish
3: <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that what's that pump um Remington rifle the 760
4: 760 everyone when, growing up everyone yep. called that the Amish machine gun yep exactly <laughs> if it wasn't that it was a lever action 3030 <laughs> um yeah, yeah
0: what uh how much do you have any insights into how i mean from your angle do you have insights into how like where that that stereotype like why that's appealing to people Do are are, are you are you subject to that? Do people do like white dudes meet you out hunting and they know you've been up to no good? Do you know what I mean? Is this, is this like a thing you live with or am I telling you things you've never heard before?
1: No, no, no. I, I, I don't think that's that's uh, new news. Um, it's not new news no, to you. No, um, I, no. And, I, and in fact, a, you know, a few uh, weeks ago, I talked to um, a, a liaison from the DNR who he, he was a Hmong liaison. Okay. long time um, Hmong liaison, retired now, but- I um, mean, he, he said those same things. and so like um, he he said those same things in what way? In that you know Hmong people would I mean they hunt in 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 groups um it's it's we, we just go together that's okay. one that's 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 something that we brought over from laos is and that, people don't like that yeah well i guess i guess not you know right um, instead of
2: like one buddy yeah, you go with yeah. more people but I so mean, having sounds, a hunting
0: camp <laughs> yeah. when you go that, up to deer camp and there's 16 people at
1: deer camp that's cool or a pheasant <laughs> drive with yeah.
4: 30 guys in south mong dudes.
1: <laughs> Hmong dudes is You're trouble.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there, yeah, there's that right, and then um, so that one being the, like groups of people. Oh yeah, oh yeah, groups. And yeah. then uh, we were talking about this is like Mong people go early, man. We we <laughs> okay. We were talking like you know it's it's that whole public private land you know um, kind of uh, conversation, right? Um, on public land, we I mean I I the turkey season just wrapped up. In um, on the thirty first of May, and my buddies and I went out at four in the morning, and so we were there and there was nobody around. Um, and to to say to answer your question around you know being subject to it, well, I mean I, I've heard, um, and I'm full aware of it, and then uh, I haven't been hunting long enough to like maybe experience that. Um, but in talking to this liaison, you know, he says that uh Hmong relations with you know in, in this case we'll, we'll just say say you know uh the, the whites in in Minnesota uh over the years have just have become a lot better have become like, better have become better oh that's yeah, good. He, it's like he's like it's it's 10 times much better than you know he he's for he first started hunting in Minnesota in 1977 so he was he was there very early, early on, and he he had he he's like, yeah, this WMA that we have up in the Twin Cities used to be full of squirrels, and now they're, the squirrels are all gone because you know he shared it with people, and then you know all the monks went and like, killed all the squirrels. You know? Oh, okay. <laughs>
4: So it's <laughs> legit. Yeah, it's legit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna deny that.
1: I mean, I'm not gonna deny we we love you guys. Shows. Got onto it. <laughs> yeah, you guys yeah. got onto it and hit yeah.
0: it
2: hard. Wake yeah. up early, get all the spots yeah. Between yeah. before okay. the yeah. other folks. All right, we're getting
1: somewhere yeah. now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> How? Um, so you knew? Okay, th- did your old man come here and,
1: and automatically hunt, or did he not hunt when he came? Um, well, he, uh, not not right away. Okay. Um, you know, I talked about um, uh, Bill and Sandy Selvin who. Live in Rochester today. They have eighty acres. Um, I, I think it's considered like the drift, drift, driftless area of of the of Minnesota, southeastern Minnesota. Yep. Um, and they actually introduced my dad to hunting um, in uh, like eighty one. I think is what he said. So shortly after they arrived, because um, Hmong people were, were farmers as well. And she was she was telling me Sandy was telling me that uh, we got your mom, uh, plot of land so she could farm. And then, um, that's kind of what they did for a little bit before they came up to the cities. And then I remember my dad hanging, um, a buck in, um, in our basement, uh, after he shot it so, like early eighties. Uh-huh. And so he didn't hunt right away until, um, you know, like Bill and Sandy and then some of the people that we were um, that brought us over here and, and sponsored us like took him hunting. Yep. Uh, and
0: that's probably hard to get used to. Like, if you went from subsistence hunting in the in a like lawless civil yes, war exactly. region of kind of a, of a war-torn Southeast Asia and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, you go down you buy this permit <laughs> yeah. and you follow these rules and you can't do this, you can't do that and you allow this many a day, it's probably like, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, th- there's a lot of that, right? And, and, and again, in talking to you know that the uh, our uh, the liaison he, he said that there was a lot of that. There was, you know, Hmong people came here didn't know the language, right? Yeah, had no concept of wildlife management um, in Laos. There, there wasn't none. like you hunted because you were hungry, and you know you just you hunted anything that you could see. Got right? it. Um, so coming here, you know, yeah, there some for some for the for people coming over here, it was something that they you know had to get used to um you know some of the issues he said early on were just language barrier right um you know if and and you know you meet somebody out in the woods if you don't understand language you, you, sometimes there's issues um but one thing he did tell me was earlier I mentioned about it getting way better he said the young hunters now understand the laws understand public versus private understand um shooting light, understand, possession limit, understand um, all these they, they know the rules and regulations as well. and so it's almost like now that you know we all understand each other, it's like it's 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 almost like it, again, it's gotten yeah. like way better. You're
0: like a generation removed from the lawlessness right you know, thing exactly. that occurs <laughs> me, another thing that occurs to me about the, the the situation you're describing that your family was in in all those years is um if you imagine just this concept of private and public, If you were a nationless, you're coming at, you're a nationless person, Mm -hmm. right? Moving across a landscape where you don't own property, you have no government, you know, like you spent your whole life where you're not supposed to be, according to someone's definition. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it's probably also hard to show up and get like, oh, I see like that fence there. Right. Don't, you know, when your sort of whole existence has been
1: going where you needed to go while people shot at you. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And, you know, he he also mentioned, you know, and and this makes sense to me, early on we we didn't have anything. And so, you know, you were too busy trying to acclimate to a new country. You were too busy establishing um, uh, maybe a career or going to school or, or, um, you know, just making a living here. And so we mostly hunted public lands, right? Yep. And he said- no, well, mo- no money to buy land. Yeah, no money to buy land. Yeah. Um, and he said, as, through the years, Hmong people started buying boats, right? Started buying land. And over the years, you know, at least what he's seen in Minnesota is that we've kind of just become a part of the hunting community. It's just like, yes, M- like Hmong people are just, they're, they're like us, essentially. Got so it. it's got, it, he says, just, you know, through the years it's just gotten way better especially the he credits the young hunters for again understanding the laws the rules and and and, and abiding by those yeah uh
0: you so you're interested like you got a gun you got you know you bought a gun for personal protection mm-hmm. before you bought a hunting gun yes how did that go like
1: how, how did that come like a yeah where, and, and you, you were brought up around guns or no uh, I, was, I was not. And uh-huh. so, you know, going back to, like, my relationship with my dad, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you want to call it, like, kind of like the Asian relationship is, like, it's respectable, right? And, again, going back to growing up here, my dad spent a lot of his time just providing for us. He worked second shift. So, you didn't really have that interaction. Yep. Um, so, he never took us hunting. Um, and so... Um, it was, uh, going back to the, the whole gun thing, like my, my wife's actually a federal officer. She carries, I mean, she, she actually she had issued one, but she just chooses not to, 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 carry it with her. But, um, my, my, f- why I didn't get into hunting until like a year ago, right. Was I ignorance of, I didn't, I didn't want to handle a firearm mm-hmm. because I equated hunting with firearms, right. Got it. Two, I, the other piece was, well, you need private land, at least the way I was thinking was you need private land in, in Minnesota to, to be able to hunt. So like, it was like those two barriers to, to entry almost. Right. Um, so a year ago this week, um, a, some, a buddy, some buddies, uh, uh, my cousin and a couple buddies decided to go fishing in South Dakota. Um, you know, if you think about a year ago this week. Um, there's a lot of um, unrest in, in Minnesota. You had the murder of George Floyd by mm-hmm. four officers. You had a pandemic going on. Uh, you had Asian um, hate going on. And so here, the four of us were like, hey, let's go fishing in South Dakota and, and enjoy some time. And one of the very first questions that came out of that was, which one of us has a gun for, for personal protection? No, not that we would, Ever, hopefully, would never use it or need it, but like that, like that was something that came up. Yeah, for peace of mind. Yeah, for peace of mind. Yeah, and so you know, it was a seven-hour drive from where we were. You know, we went fishing in South Dakota, so we kind of like just talked about it. And the one guy who did have uh, concealed carry, he, you know, he basically gave us the lowdown, right? You know, seven-hour drive. You know, he of course talked about it, and he lived in an area where. Uh, there was actually looting like in his backyard right he's like yeah i i i have this because legitimately i we should be protecting ourselves because everything is going on so it was kind of like this perfect storm of things and so i came back and i was like i was just like gung-ho on, hey you know i i need to go get myself a nightmare leader I'm a contributor to, you know, the whatever millions of people that bought gun. Ammo the first shortage. Time. <laughs> I yeah. bought Sorry. ammo. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I contributed that. Yeah. Yeah. So um And that was your first firearm purchase. That was that was my first firearm purchase. Did you yeah. go get a concealed carry permit? Yes, I did. So right away it came back, got a permit to go purchase, and then, you know, uh took the class and got uh the license to carry. All right. Um and so I got that. So, you know, if you so I got it. So I'm like – and then my, my brother is actually a state trooper in the state of Minnesota. Oh. So he's been hunting for a long time. You guys are heavy law enforcement. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, is that unusual? Did um, a lot of mung go into law enforcement? Or are you kind of an anomaly that your wife and brother um, are in law enforcement? I I don't I, – there's there's not many – there's some. Like I have a first cousin who's in law enforcement. So, I mean, I think I – think, there's, there's, there's some of that. But I it's think. not like a known, it's like a, like an industry y'all infiltrated no, or something. No, yeah. no, <laughs> no, And you know, there's, there's, there's people who are involved with the community. Um, you know, we had like the first Hmong um, state senator uh, a few years back. Oh, okay. And so I think Hmong people are really into you know, like serving. I think serving is the right word is that we, we like to serve. Um, and so, you know, my, my brother started like showing me how to use it. And then shortly, like shortly after I got my nine millimeter, I, I buy an AR-15, right? Yeah. And so two, two, three, five, five, six, and I'm I like so so that was like my first deer rifle. You know? Do you have you hunted deer? I have, yes. Okay. Yes. yes. So um, when when in in any case, why I got into hunting? um, So I'm shooting this nine millimeter. I'm like at one point I realized, you know what? I hope I never get to use this or have to use this, right? But shooting is fun. Like, you know, the act of shooting and going to the range with my brother, him showing me how to, you know, take it apart. I like, This is kind of fun, right? I would like to shoot more. And so that's kind of like what spurred the whole hunting, like itch. Um, now, did you put a scope on your AR or like a red dot on it? I uh, put a red dot on it, yeah. 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 So um, put a red dot. In, and then um, I, I wrote this in the email to you guys too is – Around the same time, my my buddy, um, bought forty acres up north, and he's like, you know, he he was he just bought it. Um, he said he bought it for hunting. Okay. So, one got over the fear of firearms. Two, hey, we have forty acres we can hunt on, and that's really what kind of, like, pushed me over the edge. Right? Was
4: it? Was it something? since your dad did hunt were you interested in, in it as yeah, a kid or you, and you just never had the opportunity yeah it, it was it was exactly that it was you know my brother and my dad went
1: all the time i've just like give, never given it the time of day
0: but you were like you were philosophically
1: opposed to owning a firearm um or just didn't uh not opposed to owning it i just like i was just scared of like physically handling one right well once i got over that and then um hey there's 40 acres of land we can hunt on right and so and these are mong dudes you're hunting with oh yeah yeah, yeah. my uh, my best friends yeah exactly and um so we were all just like kind of gotten to this um like hey let's 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 do this right and this this was like august-ish right so the 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 rifle deer rifle season was november and so we like we started buying all the gear Um, and you know, uh, in, in Minnesota, there's a a North and the South region. So in the South, you can do shotgun only. Um, there's, uh, the Northern region where you can do like rifle. So I, like I, I was going to go with my AR-15, 223, and they were going to go with shotguns. And so we got all geared up. And you know that's. Oh, like, so you're in the rifle area, or the shotgun area. Oh, uh, we're in the rifle. We're oh, in the rifle. Okay. So you can do you can do I whatever. So you were yeah. in an area
0: where you could do yeah, it. You could yeah. choose. Yeah. You could but they choose. already had shotguns, so they were going to use yeah, their shotguns, yeah, and you, exactly. you were going to use your AR.
1: Yeah. Correct. Correct. And how to go? Didn't tag. <laughs> um, didn't didn't. Um. Yeah. We. Did anybody we, get one? No, nobody got one. Nobody got Did one. You guys see some? We saw. Yes. Well, here's the story. We saw. And so, you know, we saw, but they were, so, I mean, two, two, three, I think for me was, I think 75 yards and under is, is kind of what, you know, through our research, right, shotguns is like the same thing, 60 yards and under. You want to get nice and close. Well, well, you had to, otherwise, you know, again, we wouldn't shoot, right? Well, we started seeing deer and they're like 150 yards away, 200 yards away. So after the first week. Um, of hunting. And, uh, after the, after the week and a half, we saw deer that was way too far away. Right. And, um, we actually went on a a separate property, private property that backed up to, um, uh, state land. And so we were seeing deer like 150 yards, 200 yards away. Well, I'm sitting there like, I never, I don't have a shot. I don't, I'll never be able to shoot if I have you know, this AR and I'm not knocking ARs, but the next day I go and I buy six, five Creedmoor. Cause I'm like, I, I gotta go. I mean, you need to go longer. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, again, you know, I, I went from like no guns in June of last year. To having two
0: semi, <laughs> well, to having two semi-anemic yeah. <laughs> cartridges. <laughs>
3: You say that?
0: <laughs> yeah. I would have been like, I got a 223, now I'm going to buy a big ball buster, man. I'm going to
4: buy like a 300 or something. Yeah. <laughs> I know that you're going to choose. I know. <laughs> how were so. you guys? Were you guys posted up in stands or how were you like all hunting together? Or? Um,
1: uh, you know, inexperienced, right? So um, we were. You guys tried to do a squirrel drive, didn't you? <laughs> no, no, not a squirrel drive. <laughs> uh, we we, we, we uh, set up in blinds. Okay. Um, and so Uh, And then we had the one buddy who who had a uh, a stand, Mm -hmm. uh, a tree stand, and we didn't really. After the few hundred, the the couple that we saw were like a few hundred yards away. We we didn't see anything, and then and then the season ended. And then my brother and I did go down to Rochester because they they had some um, heavy CWD um areas down there so they were trying to get rid of all the deer so him and i did go down to rochester a couple of days to, to see if we can find some but we we didn't run across any if anything i i i i spooked probably more deer than i could count yeah but you're <laughs> this fall you're going out oh yeah this this, Guns this, fall, blazing. this, this fall is is, is um you know, i'm doing archery um so I, i've started you know sh- shooting uh, bow and arrow and then, yeah, we're we're counting on the days of of um, the rifle season. Yeah.
3: So did you did you end that first season,
1: just like an addict? Uh, pr- pretty much. You pretty loved much. it. Yeah, yeah. And and cool. um, I was telling you guys, the turkey season just ended, and I I I'm totally hooked. We're totally hooked on. Did turkey. you get a turkey? We didn't get a turkey. No, Damn. we came close. Come on, we came close. We gotta have you back on. But here's yeah.
2: the thing that's awesome, right? Like he you know, didn't do any of this. I mean, that's why I kind of love this story. Like, you weren't doing any of this. And I know you've told me that you know, you've gone back to reread eater articles on the website and gone back to rewatch seasons of the Netflix yeah. you gotta show you got to cut that out, Corinne, because people are
0: going to be thinking if you didn't get anything. That... <laughs> oh, no,
2: <laughs> <come on. laughs>
4: Those guys don't know what the hell they're talking on. about.
2: <laughs> no, but I mean, like, it's not, you know, these are a bunch of guys. They have it in their blood, and it's probably a re- reawakening yeah. right yeah, now. Exactly. But you're just like, you keep on getting out there, and you're trying to, like, they're teaching themselves. They no, it's, like, you know, it's phenomenal, like, man. Like, Brody took me out last Last season, you know, I've got everyone in this office to help show me the ropes and they're just going out on their own. You well, know? I
1: was telling you, I, you know, the turkey season in Minnesota is, is, um, they, there's six seasons. So, so if you do archery, you can hunt the entire six weeks or the uh, basically middle of April to end of, end of May. Gotcha. If you're doing shotgun, which was what I was doing, you had to pick one. So, Uh, I pick season two, which is six days. If you don't tag, you can actually come back the last week, which is actually 13 days Mm. and you can use your tag there. So I hunted, um, six plus essentially, I think 10, 11 days. And the last in this, the last season just ended, I was going almost every day. And I'd like, um, you know, I'd get up at, you know, we were talking about getting there damn early. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> none of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, my buddy and us, we'd get there at four because the the we we kind of got it down to the, the gobbles will start around five tenish, and five o'clock is shooting light, um, at you know, five like, o'clock um, shooting light. So, you, around five ten, you knew that there was going to be gobble. We we stumbled onto this, like, field by luck on, on its WMA, and you just knew that the gobbles were going to could be coming out at, like, 5, 5.15. Did you guys five, run into any other hunters in there? No, we didn't, and I think the oh, reason— you got to stop. Because <laughs> we were there first. <laughs> because we were there first. Well, you know, Well, we, we get there at, you know, I, I'd i wake— I mean, you can ask my wife that I got up at 3.30, right, got ready, um, drove to the spot by 4, um, so the spot, you know, the field, you had the field and you had the parking lot. And so, um, well, I already have a car and then my buddy shows up, there's two cars there. And, you know, one, one of my rules with our, you know, our buddies for safety is that if you drive into somewhere and there's one or two cars, you, you just go find a different yeah. place. Right. So we're, we so we kind of like monopolized.
3: Yeah, you is, gotta get yeah. a license plate, it says Hunter
0: on it, man. Personalized yeah. plate, vanity plate, Back off my honor.
3: So yeah.
1: Yeah. So so I, I did so I'd wake up at four, hunt, you know, try to try to catch a gobbler up until like eight, go to work, work all day, and then go to tennis, and then after tennis, I'd go, you know, if there was you know, if there was still light, I'd you know, I'd go get and back hunt out the woods. Yeah, And I did that for like 10 days.
0: Yeah, hunting my friend Robert
1: Abernathy. He likes to get out there. Well,
0: I would sleep for an hour just waiting for the birds to gobble. Yeah. I much just sitting out in the swamp, but I don't know why we're out here.
1: But we're out here basically last night is what it feels yeah. like. Yeah, I was telling Corinne, you know, i have so much more appreciative for wildlife, but like for crows, you know, because, you know, I, I, did, I had the crow call with me, but, the crows like would just shot gobble the the They, do, they do it themselves. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, man, this is this is so cool how they, they work off of each other like yeah. that. Yeah.
0: Do you uh Corinne mentioned this earlier, like uh like an awakening or whatever. Do you okay, as you learn to hunt in, in America, do you feel that you're joining an American tradition? Hmm. Or do you feel like you're joining a Hmong tradition?
1: Uh I I'd have to say it's it's um a uh, little bit of both. I think hunting is in my blood, and you know when I rode in, I was like, I I felt like it's always been a, a part of me. But I love everything about the American, um, the, the American hunter, and and what, what we have here. I just needed something to kind of like, like, like uncover that. I felt like. Um, the global think, pandemic. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. COVID. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I blame a lot of stuff on the pandemic. I mean, R- racial tensions <laughs> and the <a> global <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. Nothing like that to get a guy out hunting. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, a year ago this time, I didn't own a truck. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't own a boat. I didn't hunt. And you know, I didn't own a camper. And I have all those, you know, I do all those things now, you know. <laughs> <Got> a lot. <laughs> so, of, I mean, you're not
4: alone. Like, yeah. a lot of people... Kind yeah. of rediscovered the outdoors. What kind of boat? Year. What kind of
1: boat you get?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I got I got this. Um, is it, it's, it's a, a 17 foot. Uh, they call it a, a, like a bow rider, so it's not like a fishing boat or anything. It's really so I could pack a lot of people in there, and we just go. Oh, nice! You know, boating. oh, like a pleasure yeah. boat. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you find
3: it on Craigslist? Oh, uh, Facebook. <laughs>
1: Facebook. <laughs> if it was on Craigslist, <laughs> Seth already saw it. Yeah, I probably yeah. saw it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they were they were being bought. They were being bought like like crazy. I mean, I I remember looking at this one, um, like it came on and that minute I say, hey, I'll I'll take it, but I want to see it first, and the guy just like sold. Yeah, like you know,
4: but it's like. They were gone, you know? So You mentioned um, going on that fishing trip with your buddies. Had you always fished, like, from the time you were a kid? Um, Yeah, off and on. um, You know, we take the kids.
1: You know, know, I have have three kids. Um, Oh, you do? How um, old are they? Uh, uh, 14, 10, and 6. You nice to them? Oh, of course. (laughs) Of course. My daughter, (laughs) Michaela. My daughter, Michaela, makes You like that one? Wanted to make sure that I said... To you that she says hi.
0: Oh, yeah. Tell her I said hi.
1: Yeah, because she's actually gonna be probably the, be my hunting buddy. Excellent. Um, she's Aww. got. She's already got um, this. Uh, a month ago, I bought her um, a, a, a youth a youth shotgun, and we went out once um, because the the range where we we live we live uh, close to a range, and it's uh, free youth Tuesdays. And so her and I went out. That's she cool. shot it once, probably my fault, but she couldn't take the recoil. Oh, dude! Well, here, there's a trick. <laughs> You, you probably already know this.
0: Like, the first time my daughter ever shot a turkey load was when she was shooting at a turkey. Okay. I'd load okay, okay. Yeah. target loads. You know, like clay loads. And they just are like, oh, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And then when they're actually shooting at something, they don't know. I just had her shoot, and we, like, fake. I put a red dot on a break open 410 for her on turkeys yeah. with. And we, like, you know, sighted it in, the red dot, for on a turkey silhouette. Then I was like, oh, let me shoot it a couple times. And I put turkey loads in there and made sure we were good on the pattern, and it never had her shoot one. And after she shot at a turkey, never brought it up. Okay, the fact that it's like the recoil's like
1: five times. That was that was my fault because yeah. I I should have realized that. Right? Get her some so, like low brass. Yeah. <laughs> get some low brass target loads. Well, she shot it once. She was like, "Dad, I th- I don't think I can do it this season. <laughs> I don't think I can do it this season." So I'm like, "Okay, okay, well, you know," but but so yeah. Uh, okay people are gonna want to get a, people are gonna want to get a hold of you a
0: lot of people are just gonna want to get a hold of you I'm, it's just a thing that sure. happens with sure. when guests come on you can choose to like I don't want to hear about it or you can tell everybody how they might drop you a line or find you on social
1: media and shoot you a DM or whatever that you can ignore or not I have my, a Facebook page and I have an email people want to email me go, go. they can um, send it to us yeah. and we can send okay. it to you yep. But people
0: you enough. Can, give it'll go like email. this too people will be like people will be like he can hunt my place I'm telling you man. Yeah. I'm telling you, really, because um, I never get that. No, you, you won't. You won't <laughs> get that. But he'll get it. Yeah. He'll get it because his story is touching. Brody, yeah, yeah. Brody's like I was born in a very opulent country and had a lot of <laughs> hunting opportunities and grew up hunting. And
2: yeah, people guys. Are
0: like, yeah, people are like screw that guy, Brody.
2: Email us. <laughs> he's with got the bolts coming up. Bolts coming out of
0: his ears. He's got. Yeah.
2: But we'll fall, people yeah, people are gonna want
0: yeah to hunt. There. I'm telling you, they're gonna let him They're gonna I tell him to hunt his place. Yeah.
2: Email us. We'll forward the info.
1: I feel like you should come out on
0: turkeys with us next spring, though.
1: Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to. I think I'm, like I said, I think I'm hooked. Um, uh, you know, hearing that gobble every morning. Um, you know, my, my oh, buddy. It's in your yeah, blood. Yeah, man. yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's addicting. That Spring's explains under. why I went in like ten days in a row, right? Now. You
0: know, you know, when you're fishing and you got your and you got tension on your line and the wind blows, and it yeah. makes that siren song. The other day I was telling him like we we that was real windy and you hear you know in the wind and I said man you hear that you'll never be able to quit fishing <laughs> yeah, yeah. and yeah. he said I hate that sound. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Steve maybe we'll need you to do a squirrel drive with yeah you. oh yeah
0: <laughs> you you teach us how to do a big a big squirrel drive that's so effective we kill every squirrel yeah. in Missouri yeah. and I will teach you how to um. Yeah. We'll teach you how to get turkeys. No, I'm serious, man. I'd like to have you. You should come out and hunt turkeys with us. We'd have a good time. I will I'll take you up on that. I will. I will. Yeah. Or you know what we could do too is because you because you're close in we'll go hunt turkeys at Doug Durns.
2: Oh, sure. oh, how old's yeah.
0: your kid? Uh she's 10. Here's what we're gonna do here's the plan. Do not make plans for Wisconsin's youth turkey season. Okay. Do you understand what I'm yep. saying? Yes. Yes. Don't tell Doug that I invited you. <laughs> we're going to hunt. Doug and I are neighbors, you know, neighboring states. We, we love each other. We're going to hunt. my So your daughter and my daughter and my boy are going to, because Doug's too damn old. To hunt. He, for the youth season. I'm too old for the youth season. We got his place locked up for youth okay. season. Locked yeah. up.
2: Sounds he knows like not to let anybody hunt for youth season.
0: But your daughter and my two kids are going to hammer it for youth season that sounds great yeah. yeah yeah, we'll be there yeah it won't be squirrel season but we'll do a squirrel drive <laughs> yeah thank you for coming on man I appreciate
1: it thank you very much for having me yeah it was, it was a pleasure yeah it was a good history lesson thanks a lot yeah.
0: Hey, you ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So, check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what i'm talking about approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply you got to see your local store for details two-thirds of americans are at risk of experiencing an electrical blackout you could be one of them sitting in the dark and cold for hours for days maybe even weeks are you ready to protect your family you could be with the patriot power solar generator 2000x these things are sweet Because this generator has double the capacity and is expandable. Go to 4Patriots.com meat MeatEater to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com meat MeatEater.